If Cork's plan A breaks down, the plan B doesn't work at all. So Limerick has Cork's plan A down to a T. They can neutralise that. And then Cork's plan B is just not working because they don't seem to have one. Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. We don't know where to start because there's too much. There is literally too much going on at the moment. And we'll see how well that serves everybody at the end of the year. But uh, in the meantime, hashtag OTBAM. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. The performance rankings are imminent. Uh, we're going to talk rugby with Alan Quinlan. We're going to talk Gaelic football with Kevin Walsh. That was a good, a good booking to, uh, to book Kevin Walsh to talk to us about the uh, big Connacht showdown. That's coming a little bit later on in the show. And plenty more besides. So the Ireland women's rugby team were hammered. The results across uh, Leinster were pretty interesting. Uh, across Ulster were pretty interesting. The Connacht result was a little bit surprising in some aspects and then not at all surprising in others. Uh, we're going to get into that. The hurling was class, also terrible at various stages. So, yeah, pays your money, you take your choice. And then the biggest fight of the year happened, somewhat overshadowed, it's fair to say, by events uh, outside the ring, but then not overshadowed at all, according to most of the uh, fight reports that you're reading and the post-fight reports and the fact that uh, they're now talking about Tyson Fury's future and perhaps a unification fight against the winner of Usyk Joshua, at which point it seems nobody will care about any of his connections in the past to Daniel Kennan. So, you, as I say, you pay your money, you take your choice. Oh, and good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, Ger. How are you getting on? Uh, I'm worried. I'm very worried. I'm very worried by uh, Louth lying in wait in the not-so-long grass for Kildare. And I would suspect that uh, a lot of Kildare supporters are having PTSD about the various occasions in the past when the Wee County scored like unbelievable goals or somebody went on a nine-point scoring binge to beat Kildare when Kildare were the big dogs, you know, cocky heading into a championship and then end up going, oh, Lally just knocked us out. You really worried? So like, I mean, legit, yeah, legit, legit. You're thinking that sort of like Carlo in Tullamore-esque sort of uh, ambush coming this weekend. It's this weekend, isn't it? Before your time when Mikko was in charge for the first time and we'd had a great league campaign in Division 1 and everything had gone great. Uh, Louth, first round of the championship. Television cameras there for the first round of the last championship, which would never have happened. Stefan White scored an outrageous goal to knock Kildare out and that was the end of the season. But it was pre-back door, so that's how long ago it was. And uh, uh, there's a ghost there. There are ghosts. Like, I mean, these things shouldn't be real, but they sometimes are real. Like, it felt that there were Armagh ghosts on show yesterday in Bally Buffet felt but Geezer in the first round of the championship not so good Geezer through the quiet back door absolute genius so you know we'll see but the back door is going to be fantastic Very short. even yeah. though it's only going to be two rounds like you're th- looking at the teams who've been dumped in there now at the moment and you still kind of want them to avoid one another like you want Mayo to make it to an All-Ireland quarterfinal for example you want them there on that weekend because if it's going to be Dublin Tyrone Galway Kerry for example Mayo in either of those matchups against any of those four teams is a game that you're absolutely not turning off but the same goes for all these these teams that are going to come through it seems like Armagh against those teams is, is something you'd watch as well and um we're going to get into it in the performance rankings. It's it's a lot of form lines have been uh, taken to with a pickaxe and uh, are in tatters, and uh, maybe people who like rank GEA teams and try and find that little mm. uh, modes uh, are also in disarray over. The, are you? Oh, well, I'm always in a state of disarray, just more so this morning. It's like a, a general life position, but in terms of the the rankings, which had obviously always been correct and infallible, like the Pope. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, that is a very good point. You did remind me that they are 
they are bulletproof. So uh, once once they reconvene to once the, the the College of Cardinals comes together to reconvene on uh, what actually has happened to those rankings, I'm sure they'll conclude that actually everything is fine. Yeah. Okay. So we need we need a bit of white smoke, and we'll get that across the week uh, right in the meantime look uh, let's just get into the performance rankings today because there is so much to squeeze and shoehorn in it's 7.34 this morning this is OTBAM we're live every morning with Gillette Labs uh, um, in the meantime here are the performance rankings you know that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance probably should have won the game based on the second half performance is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup maybe not OTBAM's performance rankings with Gillette I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head that performance is was just lacked that intensity Okay, so as you said, that there's a, a load of different things to get into. That point that I just made there a moment ago, the GEA League uh, being in tatters, is something we're going to kick off with. We're going to go through Everton, Manchester United, some of the hurling storylines, Galway and what happened in that game against Mayo yesterday, and hopefully get all that in over the next little while. But just on that uh, GEA League form, I think it's a common theme that we saw over the course of the weekend that some of the storylines that we thought might have prevailed throughout the summer have already been left in ruins really now I don't think that anybody thought that the hurling storylines from the league were going to maintain in summer for example Limerick well uh, but Wexford I did think Wexford were going to like use the league as a springboard to catapult themselves into maybe contention like I thought that they were on the coattails of Waterford across the league and then Dublin did them now Wexford will rue missed chances, missed freeze, missed penalty, second second week in a row, missed penalty, and uh, but they could be out. Like that could be it for them, and they should be out. If Galway just hadn't bottled the last five minutes against them, then uh, Wexford will be gone from the championship. So they're they're hanging on by fingernails at the moment. Yeah, like the thing is, Dublin didn't have a bad league themselves at all. Like they finished above Tipperary in the league, although maybe on the evidence yesterday, that's not actually something to write home about. But Wexford were definitely better. It felt. Than Dublin definitely in the league, so. like Dublin collapsed in the league and you can kind of pinpoint the game against uh, Kilkenny where they were going yeah. into that game going oh we're full of confidence this is something real and then collapse but they bounced back and they, they played good hurling and they you know they uh, out thought Wexford in that game form is just bizarre really isn't it when you think about it like when you we know that we can't ever compare results from you know team A against team B and then team B against team C and hope that A and C matches up on that but even by that like knowing that it, it nothing like that even makes sense it, like you talk about those the Dublin hurling team and like you would have looked at the, maybe the game against Leash in week one and you might have pointed to even that not even the league you might have pointed to week one they nearly say, lost Listen, like this, this could actually be a real problem for them if that's where they where they're at, or maybe Leash are just really good, and then Kilkenny absolutely tear Leash limb from limb at the weekend. So uh, nothing makes sense. We know absolutely nothing, and uh, we maybe should never ever get into the prediction game or trying to put any sense on what happens because the championship is random and uh, wonderful, and uh, that weekend was was just crazy. And that's just the hurling, the football form lines have also been left in tatters, which is a little bit more surprising because the Football League matters more than the Hurling League right now and that's that's the truth I think to be fair a lot of people had said that the back-to-back games against Roscommon from a Galway perspective you can't read a whole pile into them I wasn't sure I don't, I don't know but uh, people have made the point that maybe the first of those two games was a bit of a phony war because Galway had already got promoted and secondly they were two weeks out from the Mayo game so why would they bother showing their hand against Roscommon in Croke Park. But I'm not sure if that's actually the truth, but they definitely did have a different game plan yesterday. There was definitely a better defensive game plan. I think they had an extra man back against Roscommon in that league final, but it was pretty ineffective. Yesterday, that defence was far more packed. It was a perfect antidote to Hornball. 
Um, and at the same time, then, they only win the game by a point. So, again, like, I think we just need to accept when it comes to this Galway-Mayo fixture yesterday, there were a ton of different ways that you can actually look at it. When you look at the tragic players that Mayo have to, to come back into the team, when you look at the fact that, Mayo, that Galway, in slow motion, almost ended up losing grip on that win yesterday. Yeah. Like, it would have been... It would have been less extraordinary had Mayo scored two goals and, and drawn the game. It was like five points just rattled off and Keegan goes over the bar with the outside of the boot. You're like, okay, nice. You know, Mayo are, are turning it on now and it doesn't actually matter. And were it not for maybe poor shot selection from Aidan Norm right at the end, if they'd passed the ball around in the loop one more time and found a, a shooter, like it's a draw. And to pick off six consecutive scores in a row would have completely changed how we're talking about this Galway team this morning. But it sometimes takes a really ugly uh, conclusion to grind out a big result at the very start for a manager's reign to get going. And it feels like Park Joyce has been one of those managers who's been mostly affected by COVID just because of the height that Galway were at in early 2020. So you've got to look at that and you've got to look at the, the management team that he's got around him and, and some of the players that are clearly on the upward trajectory. And that includes someone who's 32 and, and Paul Conroy at the moment who's been the best football of his life. And you're saying, OK... I think the fact that they won is more important than the fact that they almost lost, if that makes any sense. It does. It, it, I mean, I see the benefits of the argument. And here's the thing, like it's Leitrim in the next round. We'd expect them to win that. And then it'll be Roscommon in the final. So an opportunity for them to win the important game against Roscommon this year and to bounce straight into an All-Ireland quarterfinal with the confidence of a title behind them. At the same time, are you are you making them overwhelming favourites? Are you making them five point favourites against Roscommon? No. You're not. Like, no. you know, would you be terribly surprised if Roscommon beat them on the day? Absolutely not. No. So uh, I I think if they if they'd seen the game out, uh, if they'd won by five points, you'd be like, ah, yeah, that was a great performance. That's like a signature win for them. It's just that there was also a signature near collapse. Yeah. Yeah, and there is time, and I think the fact that they have another game before what should be Roscommon and what should be a win in that game before Roscommon is something that's really going to benefit them. Like if we kind of like keep on the theme of league form, like I know Mayo were hockeyed in the league final, but they got to the league final. They were on the table the second best team in Division One this year, and. I think if you looked at the league final, you would have said, OK, well, they just didn't care about that game. They're, they're keeping things up their sleeve and they're going to show them against Galway. And we didn't see that at all. And I think that's, I think the Mayo level of performance is actually quite surprising, even allowing for the fact that they were missing a lot of really important players. I think Rob Henley is a big loss to this team at the moment. I think Paddy Durkin is a, is a big loss to this team. I think Killian O'Connor needs time, yeah. but he's going to get time. It is six weeks until Mayo play again. Like, like it's, it's three times the gap that they have between the Kerry and Galway game the gap that they now have before their next game. Yes, it's going to be a very good team that they play. There's a good chance it'll be a very good team that they play, but like it's, there's a long, long time for them to, to get things back together and I would not be surprised if they got further than Galway in this championship. Uh, six, six weeks is like a, a taper down, go on holidays, do a full pre-season, taper back up, and then you go again. It's an insane amount of time. It's, like, it's almost like this championship structure hasn't been thought through properly. <laughs> Yeah, possibly. And here's the other thing: no one's going to show up to these games. There, no one's going to. You know, we we should not. We should definitely not factor in any financial benefit of having twenty seven thousand at games. That's you cannot do that. You can't. People don't want to watch championship matches in April. They definitely don't. It's too cold outside. Yeah, yeah like the proposal B is useless. <laughs> well, I mean, like the league did take a battering this weekend. I mean, that's what the the counterpoint to that would be. Yes, because the championship is the only thing that matters. And if everybody was playing the championship, everybody would show up. 
in big numbers because we want to see good games between teams. And look at all the look at all the, the minnows, the games between the minnows. They were all great. There was there was something in all of them to make you show up. The game in Ockram sounds like it was an absolute roller coaster. A goal fest. Um, the other uh, league uh, form line that we were interested in was Armagh. Uh, I think I'd like. I think that maybe we kind of spoke about this at the end of the league that the form wasn't as hot as it was at the, the start. Well, that's of the it, isn't it? That actually, is, is this not a? Is this, does this not Situation. blow up your argument here? In that yeah, Armagh's league form has has actually come straight through, and also Donegal's Bally Buffet form has come through, where the you know it's a complete fortress. Uh, no thanks. No, no one's ever going to win there again. And uh, if they could play every game there, they'd be all Ireland champions. Okay. It's the it's the equivalent of Dublin and Croke Park. Well, what was are are Donegal very flaky or very unflaky? Like, what, what, how do you look at this this whole decade that they've had since since last winning All Ireland and and put a word on it? Like, if you have to go, you're, you're a tabloid headline writer and you've got one word. Are you going flaky or unflaky? <laughs> Is unflaky a word? No, I don't know. Uh, uh, un- unbreakable would be the opposite of flaky would it be but that's not really they're not that either like they beat Armagh by one point on the final day of the league when they had that brawl like they were th- that was the form line and like they'd lost to Dublin in Croke Park the week before that obviously Armagh had beaten uh, Dublin in Croke Park earlier in the league I do think that this does break the form a little bit but I, I, I also do accept that there were signs that Armagh were uh, as I say not as hot as they were earlier in the league but Donegal also and Ballybuffet as you say are just this incredible beast but also in, in the Ulster Championship full stop that the problem for Donegal has been getting to the semi-final when it really matters and yes that has over the last two seasons in particular tripped its way into the Ulster Championship because there was no back door there's a there's a bit of a mayo about them and I mean that in the best way possible where they will get to a certain level and they will put up impressive performances throughout the season before falling at a hurdle that's been a problem for them over the last little while and not getting to a semi-final since beating Dublin in 2014 is constantly going to be the thing that that's I guess really irks Donegal people because they feel that that team was definitely good enough and has been good enough to get to a semi-final I but mean, they that's not what they, you should be talking about I mean I think they should have been carrying that all final I do I do think they should have been carrying that not all in final and we'd be talking completely differently about that Kerry team if if uh, you know the ball hadn't been kicked out to Donaghy and Donaghy hadn't kicked it in the back of the net but I think that they're the what you can say about them it's not a very snappy headline is that they have a like a paper thin squad and that that paper thin squad breaks down again and again and again when one player or two players get injured it's been McBrady or Murphy getting injured at one stage of the season or other and they they appear to be fit at the moment and as a result they're like taking care of business against a division 1 team like it was a routine victory for them yeah and it could have been more like I know Armagh had that flurry at the start of the second half where they could have picked off a couple of goals, but Donegal should have gone in this break with a, with a bigger lead. And if they if they were in Munster or if they were in Leinster, they'd now be looking forward. Or if they were in Connacht, they'd be looking forward to a bit of cannon fodder and then one more game, and then you're in an All Ireland quarter final. But as it is, it's like okay, another slog, another slog, and and there'll be brawls and there'll be suspensions and there'll be injuries along the way. So I think that's what explains it. Is there anything in that game yesterday that suggests that? Armagh had their eye off the ball as a result of the suspensions because this was uh, an argument put forward by Mark O'Shea in the Mail on Sunday yesterday that when he got off a suspension back in the day for a Munster semi-final or maybe a Munster final against Cork just played really poorly he said that when Lee Keegan got off a suspension a few years ago for Mayo in a big championship match he played poorly he made the point that Dermot Connolly uh, after a famous late night suspension let off 
nobody actually remembers how the Connolly played in that game. Not great. Uh, not great. So yeah. uh, he actually called this yesterday that, that Armagh were going to be affected in a negative way by the suspensions and that's been an argument that's been put out. I'm not sure if I fully subscribe to it but I think maybe on Donegal's, uh, I think that just tells us something about Donegal that they were like, it was kind of like Liam Cahill-esque where they like, we're not going to appeal these and we're, we're going to focus on ourselves and, and actually control what we can control. As it turns out you can control the disciplinary process as well to be honest but maybe that just indicated a bit more about Donegal's mentality going into the game I don't know like it feels like a, not, not a watertight argument but well, it's, it's I, something it exists and fair play to him for making it in advance because certainly it, uh, afterwards you can go well I mean there's something yeah. to it uh, I don't know I think like is there something to the fact that maybe Armagh need to re-establish themselves as a Division 1 team over many years so that when stuff like this happens or when they go through the back door they're ready for whatever comes next like I don't think Armagh are done just yet I, no. I certainly you know Armagh Mayo will be a good ding dong battle uh, at a neutral venue. Are the qualifiers going to be neutral? I don't know, are they? I presume so, but uh, again, you can't assume anything. It's it's usually, I I I don't know. Like I I hope so, and like that would be an absolutely brilliant uh, clash between those two. So what you're looking at is is whoever comes through now over the next couple of weeks to to, to try and beef up those qualifiers. But it's going to be Mayo against one of those Ulster teams is the, the fixture you want to see. Who are the best? Who are the easy teams left? Who are going to be in the qualifiers? Like, who are the easiest teams? Who, who is everybody looking at going, yeah, I'll take you? Cork, really, isn't it? Um, Mead? Mead stayed up. It was, it was awfully and down. He went down from Division 2, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, Louth, potentially after getting their promotion from the Division 3. Uh, Louth are going to be in the answer final. Yeah, as, as, it, as it turns out. Uh, like, it, there, there is... Now they're 4-1 and 5-point underdogs against Calair, by the way, which are, I think... Um, uh, that's an incorrect assessment of how that game's going to go. Like, never can you ever point a finger at somebody and accuse them of yearing away their county's chances. You are sitting here, what are we, five days in advance on a Monday morning after the busiest weekend in sport, and you're pushing this narrative that Kildare are going to get beaten by. No, that. I think it's, I think it's a fifty. I think it's much closer to a fifty game than a four to one outsider in a two horse races. Like that's that's incorrect. It's a two point game, and it'll be in the melting pot right until the end. Uh, we, we'll see. We'll they, see. They just like, scored five, five, ten. They yeah, and they a have fifteen-point victory. In a, like, I mean, they have a, they have a couple of like outstanding forwards, and like I know Sam Mulroy's got a lot of the the credit this year. But Kieran Byrne is obviously excellent as well. But Kildare would be like, I see your two, I see, I see your couple of uh, excellent forwards, and I'll raise you three. And they've got a, uh, an inside forward line that is just primed to do damage in the Leinster Championship outside of maybe a game against Dublin at the moment. And, and Kildare should be licking their chops at it, the prospect of having a few games in the Leinster Championship after slogging it out in Division 1 all spring. Like This is where those, those three inside forwards really should come into their own. So uh, that defeatist attitude, I don't think, is, is going to wash in, in that camp this week. An impressive win for Calvin. Coy Bibb, says Shane. Uh, yeah. Shifty Lad says, Lads, I hope you move Wicklow up a page in the power rankings. Amazing game and result. I hope you realise how much a win means for a small team. Congratulations to Garden. Uh, James says, Two weeks ago I ripped into Owen for not putting Munster in the red after their loss to Exeter. I have to eat humble pie and admit they should be in the green given their response with two huge wins. The season is back up and running. Johan van Grand no more. Johan van Great. <laughs> Step forward. Wow. This is uh, this is a, a real Gilroy special this morning, isn't it? I mean, uh, lo- loving Munster, hating Kildare. This is just a complete about turn on all no, your beliefs. No, I love Munster. That's the whole point about this. Yeah, you want you just want them to succeed. You, it, their 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 downturn had, makes you sad, basically. It's, well, yeah, all great teams need a rival. Mm. Yeah. What's next? Uh, Everton are next. Speaking of all great teams needing a rival, I don't think Liverpool wants 
any sort of rival in Liverpool at the moment. They're talking about a quintuple this year by winning all four trophies and relegating Everton. That would uh, that's the thing that they want. And yesterday was like I mean we'll get to Manchester United Arsenal, which was for me the the, the chaos of that and the, the crapness of it really made it the game at the weekend. But there was also kind of a, a good level of hilarity around Everton against Liverpool yesterday. Not least Anthony Gordon going on uh, Twitter after the game to say that he was uh, fouled. Uh, and that that penalty that wasn't given in the second half should have been given. Uh, I think it was like a couple of the hands up emojis on Twitter yesterday. Frank Lampard giving out about it afterwards, saying if that was a Liverpool decision, if that was Mo Salah, it would have been a penalty. And then obviously uh, Liverpool Twitter comes out with the statistics that Mo Salah doesn't get fouled very often at all. So uh, on social media, this has kind of taken on a life of its own. Everton versus Liverpool, the flashpoint before half time where uh, Mane puts a hand in the face, the Richarlison is down, lying on the ground, the Kure takes the legs from under a Liverpool player to just try and stop this game. There was enough needle in this, and obviously the cherry on the cake was Pickford lying on the ball late in the first half, and Alisson with uh, Liverpool's cushion in the second half. Uh, the ball rolls to him, and uh, he lies prone on the floor, um, like, uh, like somebody's trying to hide on Call of Duty at the end, taking the piss out of uh, Jordan Pickford. Just a, a, a lovely moment uh, of, and a lovely collection of moments of, of memes, really, throughout this Liverpool-Everton game. And Liverpool were always going to win this fixture. And because of what Burnley did earlier in the game, Everton started the day, started that fixture in the relegation zone, and that's obviously where they end. So I thought they were safe a couple of weeks ago, after they beat Manchester United. But <laughs> I, too, am eating humble pie, because Everton, you can never count on them to, to, to not let you down. If Everton go down, they're going to be the new leads. It could be a generation before they get back. Like, I understand things are different now from when Leeds went down and that the parachute payments make it very likely you're going to be able to keep most of your team together. And uh, most clubs have been able to uh, use that to at least yo-yo back in. Um, but I'm just not sure that Everton are most clubs. It feels like whatever you can say about the Manchester United dressing room, you could say times 100 about the Everton dressing room over the last couple of years uh, with a few obvious honourable exceptions and is Frank Lampard the man you want to yo-yo you back up? I'm not sure. I don't know. Like uh, Burnley's recovery has been remarkable. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> remarkable. And now they they turn from being the hunter to the hunted and let's see if they can maintain what they're doing. But Everton's fixture list, it's not great. Like the one thing that Everton have is that Leeds are also sinking like a stone and that they might be able to catch them. Um, so Everton's fixture list are uh, Chelsea next Sunday, Leicester the following Sunday, Watford midweek, uh, Brentford, who are obviously uh, doing quite well at the moment, and then their final two games are Palace and the final game of the season is at Arsenal, who will definitely have something to play for, or who may actually already be fourth. Is there a possibility they've got a Wrapped up by the last game Arsenal. of the season. Yeah. There's a possibility, obviously, uh, if this uh, Spurs collapses to be believed, but uh, this is Arsenal we're talking about, and I'm not necessarily sure. Like, I think if we're, like, on the theme of eating humble pie, like two weeks ago I said Arsenal, given their current form, would be lucky if that Tottenham fixture actually mattered for them, that Tottenham will be out of sight at this point and Arsenal will have Chelsea and Manchester United coming down the tracks and uh, Spurs are going to keep winning, Arsenal are going to lose to Chelsea and um, they'll be doing well to beat Manchester United. As it turned out, Spurs lose to Brighton, Arsenal beat uh, those two teams and and things have turned quickly. So, yeah, no, the chances are Arsenal will still have something to play for, I think, on that final day. But the, the main thing about that fixture is that it's at the Emirates and Everton on the road 
have been chronic over the last little while. That's been their big issue. Like tonight, like you're right, Leeds United are definitely not in the clear whatsoever. They're playing Crystal Palace tonight. But if if they were to win tonight, that way you would feel that that's a, yeah. a, enough of a buffer. But if they get if they lose that, Leeds then play Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea in their next three games after that which is I mean I'm not saying it's zero points guaranteed but it could well be zero points so then all of a sudden they've got two games after the start of their season which is Brighton at home and Brentford away again they could easily with a uh, gun to their heads win those two games so the, the fixture list over the last while is pretty interesting Burnley play Villa twice Villa also not entirely safe if everybody no. was to go on a crazy run here um, well, you might, like, not that you'd be concerned in the, the immediate term about that but the, like, it's surprising to see them only four points clear of Leeds United because it doesn't feel like Leeds United are only four points behind Aston Villa given the talk around both of those clubs this year. Well, there was an initial, oh, Stevie G's a really good manager yeah. and now it's like, well, it'd be, it'd be remarkable if you were to be gifted the ability to be both uh, a generational talent as a footballer and then also one of the best managers in world football, which is essentially what we're talking about. Anybody who makes it to the Premier League has one of the best 40 or 50 jobs in world football because you're getting paid millions to manage a football team and so you should be one of the very best because there, there aren't that many people who are getting paid millions to manage a football team and so you should definitely be one of the top 50 people in the world at that job and it would be remarkable that you would be like one of the top 10 footballers and also one of the top top 50 managers and maybe yeah. CVG is not that like they've lost more games this season than Leeds and Burnley have lost. Uh, like it, it's just that middle column, which is which is really low. Only Arsenal have have drawn fewer games in them in the Premier League this season, Villa. So that that's been kind of their theme. That maybe in that side of the season, just finding a way to not lose games is something that makes them, you know, at Brighton and and that's the difference between those teams. So I, I wouldn't be overly concerned. Like there's no immediate concern. I don't think. Like as I say, uh, if you're looking at Brentford, for example, who've really gone on the uptick over the last little while, there's only three points between them. Southampton are only three points ahead of Villa, uh, and Villa have games in hand. I think. So I think that the table uh, is lying a little bit about Aston Villa's current state. Uh, and are they like what if Bur- would you would you back them to beat Burnley Gerard. twice? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like Burnley's fixture list is. Watford, Villa, Spurs, Villa and Newcastle on the last day of the season who will be completely safe and like we're never going to see each other again most of the team are going to be looking at each other so I'm feeling pretty good if I'm Burnley at the moment Yeah, yeah and especially you're looking over at, uh, at what's happening at Everton that, that's the main reason of hope for Burnley but like, it would be quite the win because who are you backing to get yourself out of a relegation dogfight uh, you probably would have been backing Deitch against Lampard especially after the win against Everton and for things to have taken a turn so quickly as in Burnley to sack him so quickly after that win and for it to have worked out but it seems that way like they're very brave. lucky owners if they manage to get out of this for, yeah, very very lucky, lucky owners rather than, rather than uh, brave but yeah no. good old Michael Jackson doing the job uh, Villa's fixture list uh, it, it has Norwich next so all they've got to do is beat Norwich and they'll be on 40 points and they'll be grand but if they don't do that then it's Burnley Liverpool Palace Burnley and City so you know it's not uh, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that they could suck back into it so the game against Norwich against Dean Smith wouldn't that be amazing for Dean Smith to come back and go screw you screw you <laughs> screw you screw you that would be pretty remarkable. That, that, but not beyond the bounds of possibility in this crazy, topsy-turvy Premier League season that we've had so far. No, it's going to be a good few weeks, for Everton sure. Everton are going to be the new leads. Mark my words, if they go down, there are too many players on too big wages in that changing room who won't take a pay cut 
Uh, and will the owners, will, will the new stadium go ahead? Or does this blow the whole thing up? I have a strong sense that Everton are completely screwed for a generation if they go down. Uh, Wayne Rooney's going to get the Everton job if they go down, says Peter. Wayne Rooney is too smart to take the Everton job if they go down, Peter. He wants the Man United job. And uh, I think there's more chance of being the next Man United manager than there is of being the next Everton manager. Could be waiting a while. Uh, GA pundits and the power rankings should be in the red after the weekend, says Edward. Uh, GA pundits for sure, uh, not the power rankings. I think the football pod did a pretty good job of predicting most of the scores, the exception of Paddy back in Armagh, right? I think the other the other two certainly they had Donegal and didn't didn't I don't know have did they pick Wexford on home advantage didn't he? I don't remember. I think he did. Uh, Jared talking about how great Kildare were all spring. Now he's trying to tell us Larry have a chance. Hashtag Jera. <laughs> hey, yes. Says Porrick. Keep that uh, coming, Porrick. No, look, I'm just saying we had a we had a great spring. Jared, we are reborn Jarrah. as a we have an identity and. But there's a banana skin here. That's, that's, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Lather a banana skin for Kildare. We're not, we're not so arrogant like our, our friends here that we're like, oh, well, we'll just get preparing for an all quarter quarterfinal because that's what happens. Like We're not like that. This is the Jack O'Connor legacy. If you're looking for a legacy in Kildare, we're hearing it right here, right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, if Jack was still there, we'd be like, all defence, 16 men behind the ball against Louth. How are you going to stop Mulroy? Jesus, we can't. So let's not try. Bit of uh, pent up frustration there, I'm sensing. What's next? Last years. Uh, what's next is Manchester United. Like, if we were putting a game in the green, it would have been Arsenal versus Manchester United in the early kickoff on Saturday. How are Manchester United in the amber here? Uh, oh, Why sorry, yeah, let me, sorry, let me explain this first of all. Oh, they should be in red, right? As an institution, obviously, they're, they're in the red. But, you know, th- there are people who follow Manchester United closely who are not Manchester United supporters. And for those people, this is green, green, green. This is the greenest thing the performance rankings has ever produced. And like I, I was kind of making the point earlier on that if this was an Amazon documentary, Amazon would have struck gold. But actually, I'm reconsidering that. We actually don't need behind-the-scenes cameras to give us a full, naked, blunt view of the chaos that is ensuing at Manchester United. I think Manchester United have been on these performance rankings every single Monday for the last two months. And... Yes, at times I got bored of Manchester United, but I'm actually getting more and more excited about Manchester United with every passing week, with every new way that they managed to find hilarious ways of creating headlines. Like Saturday was a vintage day. And even if you take away the fact that it was one of the most chaotic games of football we've seen in, in, in recent weeks, like, I mean, two full-backs going up against two full-backs and all four of them just being quite bad at football was, was beautiful. Granite Jacka's resurgence was, was great. Bruno Fernandes missing a penalty, sending Ramsdale the wrong way, but Ramsdale still celebrating for some reason. Uh, like the, the, These were all great moments, but it was in the aftermath that things just reached a whole new level. And clearly the best part about it all was Paul Scholes on punditry for the zone who says, I know Jesse Lingard won't mind me saying this, but he's told me that the dressing room is a disaster. Um, and I would probably I had a suggest- quick chat with Jesse there. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying the dressing room is just a disaster. I think Jesse Lingard probably would mind you saying that. As, uh, um, I, was reading that I was reading that from the back page of um, the Telegraph today, Daniel Zakiri, who I haven't read before, but he's like, are we sure he won't mind, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> are we sure? Are you? Is that Okay. Are you sure? I mean, he might have cost Jesse Lingard a bit of money there. If you're Newcastle or West Ham and you're like, oh, oh, so he speaks to, 
he speaks to pundits, knowing that they're pundits. And then the pundits feel enabled to go and tell everybody on telly what's going on. I'm not sure I want that in my team. I don't think I want that for my ball club. <laughs> like, uh, Skulls uh, just chose to kind of um, explode this thing on Saturday because he too is also enjoying the, the soap opera that is uh, around this club this season, clearly. He too believes that this is very much a, a good story and a fun story that everybody's kind of enjoying at the moment because... Look, things would probably be better for Manchester United this season. Maybe we need to kind of enjoy this this madness for a little bit longer. Like it's got McTominay um, coming out after the game as well on Saturday. A whole lot of problems in terms of players, staff, everything higher up was his appraisal of the whole thing. Rangnick was obviously asked on BT Sport about the Jesse Lingard uh, related comments, and he says you'll have to ask Jesse Lingard if you have this information. He says I think the whole group got on reasonably well, but like earlier in the week. Ranyuk was describing this thing as open heart surgery as opposed to something cosmetic. Like some of the sound bites we're getting on a week to week basis, on a day to day basis, are excellent. Like it, it, they are just brilliant content at the moment, Manchester United. And it, it is ironic that the whole, well, not, not the whole reason, but one of the reasons why they've got themselves into this mess is because they did chase players who would, I guess, be content for the club. Like Paul Pogba was uh, a, a great player if you were a content machine as a football club and all of a sudden they're accidentally giving the whole uh, football media beast content that is just beyond everybody's wildest dreams week after week. So then they should be in the green really? I, I, would, I, would, I would edge them up there personally. I'm not a Manchester United fan so I, I would do it but I would, I would suggest the, Manchester The Manchester United, United soap opera is in the green. Yeah yeah, it's, it's glorious it's, yeah, it's epic uh, I haven't read this, uh, Daniel Zakiri, before, but this is this is excellent stuff. He's talking about the rivalry between BT and um, Sky Sports and the difference between them. And he says Sky are front runners because they've got Keane, and Keane obviously uh, has been, you know, he's, he's reached that uh, eighth stage of grief, as we've spoken about on the show here before. But um, he also says it's important to have a bit of balance here. Uh, the antagonist from a rival club is an important part of the cast, with Graham Soonest, Carraher, and world's most earnest man, Martin Keown, playing the role this week. Their job is to probe prod and sometimes laugh at United's expense which they're more than happy to do though curiously soon it seems to be the one man in the world with a good word to say about the Glazers we shouldn't overlook the host with Dave Jones understated style and sky preferable to the unctuous leading questions of Jake Humphrey (laughs) Jones knows his guests well enough to be aware of the buttons to press without veering into smarm or thigh slapping while Humphrey oscillates between flattering and baiting them nobody at United is likely to be invited on his high performance podcast anytime soon Proof alone that a slide into mediocrity can have its upsides. <laughs> you were at Alan Partridge last night, weren't you? I was. Yeah, it was I really was. good. I was on Saturday, Saturday night. It was excellent. I oh, guess. yeah. Genius. The whole, uh, the whole Martin Brennan uh, section, was that just for us in Ireland or is that literally for everybody? Just, literally just about to say it. I get the sense it was for everybody yeah. because A, it was too good to use it on two nights. It was too good. Yeah, and B, also it didn't feel... Like there was very many in jokes. If anything, I felt like the whole thing was uh, like a, a good knowledge of English geography would have served you better than a knowledge of, of Ireland, for example. Wigan, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so no, I think I think he's going to use that. His uh, Irish accent is absolutely 
unbelievable. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's uh, as, as you would expect. Yeah. Uh, right, so, but I just thought that, um, I don't know why the segue from uh, Jay Humphreys to uh, Alan Partridge felt, felt normal there, but no, I did. Uh, five minutes past eight this morning, Amazon would have been laughing their bollocks off if they were covering Man United instead of Arsenal this season, says Yassim. And uh, Devo says, as an Arsenal fan, I thought United were unlucky not to get two more penalties on Saturday. Arsenal's defence would give you a heart attack. And that's the like, thing. That's the thing. It's like uh, one of the match reports uh, was a Barney Roney or somebody was like, curiously, there was stuff for Man United to cling on to in this game. Yeah. Like there was actually clear signs of improvement that something, and then just misfortune because that football is like uh, ultimately a bunch of random things happening. So anyway, uh, right. Roscommon will beat Galway and Cavan will beat Donegal, says Connor. Well, that would blow the championship wide open, wouldn't it? Yeah, like, I mean, both of those teams have uh, had pretty happy memories in the not too distant past of beating those teams. Um, yeah, what a black door that would be of Galway and, and Donegal would win. Obviously, Roscommon beating Galway is a much higher likelihood. But I think if you're talking about good predictions last week, did football pod not predict Cavan to get beaten? Oh, did they? I don't, I don't want to step out of line here, but uh, definitely, from what I was hearing, uh, Antrim are Antrim are looking good for that. But well, Tommy was predicting that specifically. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. I, I think Tommy. It was, it was just it was just Tommy. Thirteen points off there, Tommy. Uh, in the green this week, just a couple of things to touch on here. Uh, Claire and Paul Joyce are in the green this week. Two uh, two great performances. I'm putting like Claire in there for obvious reasons. There was like a real sense of confidence I felt going into yesterday's game against Claire. Which I was a little bit surprised by. Obviously, I was wrong to be surprised given the performance that they put in. And maybe the reason why I was surprised is because I actually thought Tipperary were quite good the previous week against the Waterford team that are obviously in, in decent enough form at the moment. So Tipperary were bad yesterday. They definitely played worse yesterday than they did the previous week. Obviously, a couple of injuries earlier on. John McGrath going off is not an ideal situation if you're already missing uh, some players like Seamus Callanan, for example. But Clare, I think really would have raised a few eyebrows yesterday with that performance like Peter Duggan being away for a couple of years and then coming back into his first championship game in two years uh, to play to the level that he got to was something that's really going to excite Clare people this year because he was a cornerstone of an attack that came close to getting to an All-Ireland final in 2018 Shane O'Donnell does not need any introduction Shane O'Donnell's ceiling does not need any uh, illumination for anybody in Ireland so to see him playing at the level that he's playing at is unbelievably exciting and possibly most exciting of all is the fact that they would have won the game without Tony Kelly yesterday. Like, arguably the best hurler in Ireland. They didn't even need him. So, like, I mean, Clare must be eyeing up that court game and thinking to themselves, we've got a real chance of uh, nicking third spot in this game. And that was always going to be the big upshot yesterday. I think Tipperary are out of it now. Having lost back-to-back games, that's not exactly a hot take. But I think Clare would have been out of it had they lost. So, this was a huge game yesterday and Clare stepped up when it really mattered. Yeah. Um Claire are going to feel like they're going to cause damage to somebody, certainly when they get out of Munster. Uh, and that forward line looks very potent. Like there was a bit where the ball broke. Yeah, well, the, the, and the, the ball broke to Tony Kelly and already Dagnum was like, this should be a point and it is. Do you know, it's like, you can, you can take that to the bank. He is definitely, he's, and he's only going to reach even higher heights. So like, you know, they're going to be in games. You'd still say Limerick, and Waterford are the top two and they're the top tier and they're in a tier on their own and then everybody else is scrapping out for that but that doesn't mean that stuff can't happen in a match like an early red card something happens a, a bad decision a good decision I don't know the penalty decision was great the like jersey pulling yeah penalty straight penalty yeah it is and and then also like take it to the bank Tony Kelly have a penalty yes please yeah 
Yeah, and like even players that didn't even start yesterday, like the like I mean, uh, Meehan was was due to start. I was really excited to see him at full forward yesterday in his first championship season. So he doesn't even play the game. Like so, there, there's there's options there, and, and the squad runs deep, as I say. And like even it feels like listening to Tommy Walsh on analysis yesterday, feels like they're starting to unlock John Conlon's potential from a deeper position a little bit more as well. If we're just using yesterday in isolation, so yes, it's an overreaction to suggest that Clare are are back and are going to land a punch on someone significant this summer. But it's bloody exciting. It is. It is. It's great to see and. And obviously they've got uh, Cork and Temple Stadium next because of Ed Sheeran. So they ain't going to be fearing that at all. Cork yeah. are forewarned is the only thing. But if Cork lose that, it's game over for them too, really. Like all of a sudden that game is the biggest weekend of that weekend. Like after Clare Tip being the biggest one of, of this weekend, I would, have, I would have thought. So yeah, Clare, Clare definitely the one to watch. Yeah, delighted for Lowen and delighted for that team. Uh, Joyce uh, taking down Mayo as their last one in green. We're going to talk yeah. in much more detail about this. But like that was, they had to do, they they. They just had to get over that line, whatever it took. Yes, yesterday was was a huge, huge win for Joyce, and that's kind of why I made the point earlier on that I think that that's the bigger storyline from yesterday, just getting over the line as opposed to the, the male fight back at the end. And there's, there's a load of really exciting bits from Joyce's perspective, not least the tactical tweak to stop Horan Ball, uh, giving extra pain to, to, to Galway football fans. So they managed to figure that out, and I'm sure Keane O'Neill probably had a part to play in that. That bodes well for them trying to figure out games over the next little while. It's just getting that big win uh, in Croke Park, which will take this team forward. Obviously, they managed to do that in uh, in Kevin Walsh's reign in that 2018 season when 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 they won um, their first game in the Super 8s in Croke Park. So getting back there and getting another win and getting back to the, the All-Ireland semi-finals is absolutely within within Galway's um, reach this season. All right. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs. For an effortless finish to your day, every week we're giving away a Gillette Labs shaving kit to be with the chance of winning. Just let us know who you think should make the performance rankings. We'll read out the best entries a little later on in the show. The best place to enter is the Off The Ball Instagram page. You can see the comments box in our story. Uh, we have a packed show still to come. We're talking football with Daniel Harris next. We'll bring you Brian Kerr's thoughts on Manchester United after this quick break. OTBAM's performance rankings with Gillette. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. If he does have the power, if he does have total control of transfers, of who stays and who goes, of style of football, week one, what should he do? Who are the players who you would look at that you think have got to go? And who are the couple of guys you've seen, either Premier League or around Europe, who you think could come in and, and really transform Manchester United? Well, well, the players, uh, in some degree, that some of that has been made easy for them in the, the likes of Matip. Um, uh, Cavani. Cavani, his time will be up. Ronaldo, that decision might be made, might be out of his hands as well. Um, Phil Jones would be an, another one. Lingard would be another one. Um, possibly Bali, I think as well. Who's another one? So there could be, you know, I've always looked at their squad in the last few years and said they've a very deep squad of players. The problem has been there's not much difference between a lot of them, and that they've been only adequate when they play it. And the areas of the team that need to improve, you'd say, bar the goalkeeper who's had a very very good season. Um, nearly every area of the team needs to improve. You could say Ronaldo has been a brilliant goal scorer, but if he's not going to stay around and not going to play him, just a goal scorer. Now, suddenly they need a goal scorer. Well, it looked like, I won't say they were quite well off, it looked like Rashford, Greenwood, Cavani, uh, and Ronaldo when he came in, uh, and Martial when they had him, that they were all right there. And there's a fair chance that 
well, there's a possibility that none of those five will be even at the club next That's season. That's right. Well, I, I don't think they should dispense with Rashford. I've seen some people saying, you know, some uh, experienced commentators saying Rashford hasn't done anything in the last couple of seasons. It's time to go. I don't believe that. I think he's still a very talented player. He's lost his way on the pitch, I believe. For some reason, he's been part of a club and part of a team that has, uh, has not performed. And he's been one of the ones he's... He's, he's not had a settled position and he has kind of floundered while those around him have floundered. So I, he's one that I, I think they should should keep. Right, that's uh, Brian Kerr saying that they should keep Marcus Rashford. Daniel Harris is with us for um, a bit of a post-mortem. On, I guess it's not really a post-mortem because the patient is still alive, just about. Daniel, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Hi, everyone. I know it feels like a post-mortem. Uh, so let's let's talk about Jesse Lingard first, right? Does Lingard get some kudos for telling the truth, or does Lingard get deducted points for being part of the shit show in the dressing room? I can't. I, I I'm. I'm uh, it would never be just about one thing. I mean, with Lingard, Lingard just to me is a very strange affair. In that he did brilliantly. At, went on there and did brilliantly at West Ham. I can't understand why he didn't insist on leaving at the end of last season because there was no obvious place for him in the team. And I don't know what Ole said to him, maybe promised him games, but Lingard should have had enough sense to realise that ultimately he's sort of competing for a spot with Bruno Fernandes or competing for a spot with Rashford and Sancho uh, and Greenwood at the time. And he wasn't going to get to play very many games and he definitely wasn't going to get to play the big games if everyone was fit. So he should have forced a move then. And also Lingard, I forget how old he is now, he's 28, but he's not close to the beginning of his career so again in January there was a there was, it was said and I don't know if this is true I'm not speaking with inside information here that Spurs would have taken him in January but he decided to wait it out and again like when you've played so rarely in your career in the way that Lingard has and particularly when you were onto a good thing at West Ham last year where just everything was really working really nicely I can't understand why he didn't make sure that he left then. And I also can't understand why United didn't make sure he left then either, because now you end up with him grassing up the dressing room to Paul Scholes and being part of everything that's wrong about the dressing room. So I don't care whether he was right or whether he was wrong, whether he said it or whether he didn't, particularly. Like, it's not going to contribute to my memory of Jesse Lingard. And when we all look back at Jesse Lingard, I mean, anyone who was at Wembley when he followed in that incredible winner in the cup final that saved United from the ignominy of losing a cup final to Crystal Palace. I mean, that would be what I remember when I remember Jesse Lingard. It's just, I feel like for his sake, he should have gone in the, in the last summer at the latest. And what about Skulls, like, uh, taking Lingard's word as some kind of arbiter and what's going on as opposed to... And then, and then just like... I don't know. It just felt it felt strange that Skulls is using Lingard as the oh the dressing room is a shambles for like. But what what's Lingard going to say? It's a great dressing room because he can't get in the team. Uh, I don't believe so. I mean, Skulls is reporting what he's been told. Um, I didn't I didn't see the way that he dealt with it because uh, I went I was I was at I was at Arsenal. Uh, for anyone who is checking up on me, I walked from synagogue. <laughs> um, that was worth it. But anyway, um, Skulls. So Skulls is just reporting what he's been told. I mean, I'm. Going to hesitate to call him a journalist, but that is ultimately what we're talking about here. So a source tells you something, and presumably doesn't. <laughs> you say reveal you that report. source straight away. It's like <laughs> <laughs> presumably he didn't say he couldn't, and if he did, obviously then that is uh, that's bad form from skulls. But I wouldn't. 
when I when someone tells me that the dressing room is like that and the football, everything I see on the pitch tells me that the dressing room is probably like that, I'm not going to be shooting a messenger. It's a matter of trying to think, well, why is it like that? And what is going to be done to make it not like that? And with a new manager and a massive clear out be enough? Hopefully it will. The, the list of players who uh, will be cleared out seems huge because why would you keep any of those players who have failed, who are out of contract? Uh, and then it's the players who are in contract that are going to be harder to move out. But like, how quickly does somebody who has a philosophy actually, how, how quickly can they have an impact? Um, is the, uh, you know, I guess they've got, they've got pre-season. In terms of the players that are going, some of the players are just going to leave. Mata, Matic, Lingard, Cavani and Pogba are just going to go. And there's a proper expensive player just in the saved wages there. You can go, I mean, those, I mean, Pogba's on, what, 300 grand a week. That's 15 million pound a year. Um, Cavani's on not that much less than that. You'll, there's, there's a player there. So those players will just go. Then one of United's problems in of late has been a refusal to shift players who they don't want when they get offers that they think are inadequate for them. And what ends up happening is rather those players sit around taking wages probably not adding a whole a whole lot to the dressing room. And then you end up having to let them go for nothing or even less. And where Ten Hag has to be firm, and where I hope he'll be allowed to be firm, because ultimately Mert- uh, John Merchant and Darren Fletcher, they obviously they work for the Glazers, but they're not much more interested in the football team being good than Ed Woodward. And so hopefully Richard, uh, hopefully Richard Arnold is too. But there have been, been people who've been empowered in some way to run the football side of the club of what I hate to call, but ultimately reality forces me to call the business. They're running the football side. So then you've got players like Phil Jones, Andreas Pereira, Anthony Martial, all the fullbacks, who you would basically, you would, you would hope that the club will take an offer. The best offer that they can get for Martial, Martial will be sold. Because ultimately, they don't want him cluttering up the place um, because he's not got a future at United. So those are the players that the club have struggled to shift over the last few years. And at this point, they just need to take whatever they can get for those players and move them on. The problem, obviously, is, and I think it might have been one of the Lingard issues, was that the wages at Manchester United are so much better than they are at other clubs. So Manchester United... To, to do that, they probably end up having to pay some of the wages over the next couple of years. And that actually might be worth it. To start again, to reset the wage structure and to stop having players who are on 100 grand a week, but who are actually 20 grand a week players. That's, that's, that's definitely worth it. I mean, it's really hard to measure what a player's worth, but someone like Eric Bailly, you're not going to pick him because what's going to happen is the man, new manager's going to come in, he's probably going to want to buy a centre-back. So Bailly's not going to play. So you're paying him to do nothing or you're paying a bit less for him to be somewhere else and not be your, not be anything to do with you anymore. Same with Martial. So they might, and there'll be a point at which also the players will either want to play or they won't. And if the manager has the kind of conversation that Solskjaer should have had last summer with some of those players saying, there's absolutely no future for you here. You're a lovely boy, but you need to find your agent. You need to get your agent to find your new club. And if you have that kind of conversation... I don't think there are that many players who would just sit there and do nothing. I, th- I know. Like, I think if he had said that to Lingard, I've got absolutely no intention of ever playing you, then Lingard would have probably been forced to go. Because they are, they are footballers. They've sacrificed a lot to be footballers. They want to play football. And, OK, when he got into the last six months, maybe Lingard did decide to wait it out. I don't know. 
But if he'd have had that conversation last summer, I think that he would have gone. And that's the conversation that Ten Hag needs to have with as many players as he possibly can that he doesn't want. And as I said, like, it's not just those players. I'd be like, you've got Brandon Williams. Also, you'll get a few quid for Brandon Williams. And whatever the price you get for Brandon Williams, that's what the market tells you is worth. That's the price you've got to take. I'd be looking to shift at least one of Diogo Dallo and Aaron Wan-Bissaka as well. I'd be looking to shift Alex Tellez if I could, because ultimately there are very few players at United that you're certain are good enough or that you even think might be good enough. And those three aren't. Tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of Manchester United handing Eric by a new contract until the summer of 2024 with the option, of an, with the option of an extra <laughs> an extra year. Like, I mean, there are a number of different things that you can ask this question about, but how did that happen? Uh, I guess they thought that the offer for him wasn't enough, so that if they gave him a contract, then the contract, because he was then United for a couple more years than, than previously, then his contract, would then, then that would immediately increase his value. I think probably what happened, I know I've been blaming Ole for this, and I do blame Ole for this, I think there's probably a point at which he didn't trust the owners, so that if you've got a player who you think you might use, who you wouldn't mind who doesn't disgust you, then you might try and keep them because if that player goes, you're not certain that you're going to be given the money to reinvest or that that money to reinvest will help you because it won't be enough. So I think it was probably a combination of those two things. United trying to preserve by his value and Ole being fit of losing a player he felt he might have to, he might have to need um, when he wasn't sure that he'd be able to replace him. Um. So let's say Ten Hag comes in with a philosophy and a clear style and all the signings are made with the express intention of that player only ever playing because the manager wants him and he fits into that style of play. And when we stop having these kind of random, this player's available, that player's available, we got linked with this player and we've been linked with him for so long that we really should buy him because otherwise it's going to look like something. Uh, <laughs> how quickly... Can that have an impact? Because, you know, people are, everybody talks about Klopp, but Klopp's a genius and it didn't take him, uh, it, it didn't work straight away for him. He came in and loads of players got injured and they they didn't finish in the Champions League places and obviously they reached the Europa League final. So there was something cooking in the background, but it, it wasn't straight away, everything is fixed. No, no, and Klopp, we have to remember with Klopp, but I, I mean, his, his genius, his principal genius is not dissimilar to Fergie, he's a human resources genius. If you gave anyone else Klopp's players, there would be anything like what they are now. It's Klopp who's made them into this awesome machine. And Ten Hag probably doesn't have that. So he's also, he's going to need to do it slightly differently. I mean, I'm sure he can make the players love him because if you give people their chance, then they'll feel they'll feel affinity to you. I mean, Arsenal's a good example of that. Mikel Arteta has absolutely no charisma whatsoever, but the players are doing it for him because he's got young players and he's giving them their chance. And as for how long it will take, I thought probably the game against Arsenal was not a bad indicator of the fact that you can turn things around here quite quickly because I thought that United, United played better than Arsenal did and they, they didn't get the, the decisions went against them which went and that's not why they lost they lost because they didn't play well enough to win but when you're crap and the decisions go against you like they did at the weekend it's a problem but watching Arsenal who might finish fourth might finish fifth United I thought were better than them and Arsenal didn't look like they were getting their fullbacks back and sent the forward away from being seriously good again. Um, so I would say that if Ten Hag is able to implement his vision and buys well, I'd be surprised if United couldn't finish quite comfortably in the top four next season because there are still some good players there. And we saw that we saw that the other day. 
Um, Rafael Varane, obviously horrendous error for the first goal, but he's a very good player. And if you put him next to the dominant centre-back that you need to buy, then he'll be much better. You know, I didn't have Luke Shaw, who, okay, he's not reliable, but he is definitely the last left, the last of the fullbacks I would sell. Um, and then you saw in midfield that they're still much too easy to get through. They don't defend well enough. They don't score goals well enough, but they are, they do have the players able to create chances. Jaden Sancho, Jaden Sancho had some good moments in that game. Anthony Alangari had some good moments in that game, although I do worry about his technique that at his age, it feels like there's certain things that, you can learn composure in front of goal, the right runs to make, but but the touch, particularly under pressure, is something that you feel like the best players already have that locked down at this point, and he doesn't. But if you look at that United team, they could leave that pitch feeling that they should have beaten Arsenal, and the only difference really between that game and the other games we've been seeing was some effort. So Ten Hag, if he gets three or four or five players that he needs and wants, and he's has able to inculcate what he what he demands of them, then United should be able to get quite a lot better quite quickly. It doesn't mean that they'll be challenging for the title next season and maybe not, not all the season after, but wh- where they are now has a lot of room for improvement because they basically hit rock bottom. And at that point, it should be quite easy to improve quite a lot quite quickly. And there's also kind of the, the fact that when you, when you talk about finishing top four comfortably next season or a chance of that happening, like you do look around at the other clubs, around Manchester United, like there's a story on the back of I think the London Times this morning that if Poch gets sacked by Tottenham, Conte could get poached by Paris Saint-Germain. Obviously Chelsea are going through their troubles. Uh, Tuchel said yesterday that Rudiger is leaving the club because of uh, the, the, the fact that they can't afford to, to, to pay his wages anymore, the wages that he's he's looking for. So there is a number of different stories around Manchester United and around that top four which would suggest that there could be a few regressions potentially over the course of this summer. Yeah, 100%. I mean, obviously City City and Liverpool are, are ahead and ahead by, ahead by some distance and it's almost inconceivable that you could close that gap in over the course of the season, over the course of the summer, sorry, um, however well you coach and however well you buy because they're both teams that have been playing together for a long time and to get that good takes time because you have to groove, you have to groove your system and we've seen it. We saw it took Guardiola the time when he first came and it took him a bit of last season as well to kind of develop this new version of the team and it wasn't until the winter where City really pulled away from everyone. It took Klopp to groove this Liverpool team and what we see in Liverpool, what we see yesterday is what they're now able to do is because everything works so well, they're able to bring players on, take put players in, take players out with no apparent difference, partly because they've bought well again and also just because there's a method and all the players know what the method is. The method, I mean, I'm sure it gets tweaked from game to game and honed on training ground. But in general, the principles, the things that Klopp asks of his team don't change. And the, the thing particularly with Klopp is the thing that underpins it all is, is hard work. And it's going to take some time for the things that those top two teams do for Ten Hag to be able to inculcate them. But Arsenal, Spurs and Chelsea are not miles ahead of United, even now in talent. They're, in, they're ahead of United because in terms of application and in terms of, uh, and obviously Tuchel's a much better manager than, than, than the manager that United have, as is Conte. So those are distances that United should be able to close by working well in the summer. Whether United actually pulled that off is, I mean, it remains to be seen. I mean, because we can't, we can't trust United in general because they've been untrustworthy under the Glazers and we can't trust United in general because Fletcher and Merton don't have any kind of experience and the extent of the work that is required this summer of by people who are inexperienced I mean 
you don't know if they'll be any good at it, but they can't be any worse at it than Edward with the Matt Judge were. So, in that to that extent, I would expect United to be able to do some some decent work in closing that gap. All right, Daniel, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. No, worries. have a good day, everyone. It's Daniel Harris giving us some thoughts on the situation at Manchester United. It is a, a big risk letting the two lads be in charge of all their transfer policy with Ten Hag. You assume that somebody in the scouting network, that Ten Hag has somebody who is going to help discover the players they need. Mm. And also as well, the fact that the track record isn't exactly great with it, the current structures that it's exist. It's terrible. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's as abysmal as it could possibly be. Like, but even when they sign good players like Sancho, they come in and they flop. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, like, you looked at the starting team on BT on Saturday, and, like, you're looking at it from an Arsenal perspective, and you're like, that's, that's a team that could do a lot of damage to Arsenal. So, like, there's still that vague notion that on paper that team should be a lot better than it is. Could Anthony Martial come back and be good? Like, like could Van der Bay come back and be good? Possibly, and like I mean, there, there have been questions as, as we've had this conversation before about Martial on an international level as well from different managers. So it's not just been at Manchester United, but definitely the quality is there. And he even showed glimpses, like right after COVID, Martial was on fire for a few weeks. Got injured, was it? And what a well, the season ended. Uh, it's 8.32 this morning Team OTB are taking on Triathai this June it's all in partnership with Whoop the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential Adrian Barry is with us Adrian good morning to you morning gents how are we doing uh, you're an old man what are you doing <laughs> um, there's an invite if I ever heard one yeah I'm um, I think I'm going to end up doing the swim and the run probably Jerry. yeah right and how how is your swimming and running? So the, triathlon is like the it's the end first the end of May start of June right? It's that kind of the whatever the bank holiday weekend is, um, which is pretty soon, Adrian. There's the month of May. Well, I've done nothing. Um, have you have you been uh, you been keeping up? Oh, I've been swimming. I've been swimming every day Sorry. after work. I haven't. haven't you did a whole lot. Oh yeah. So uh, I, I had a, a minor incident. Uh, Last Thursday, I want to say, where um, I was like, getting to swim. Normally, the swim pool is empty because we're obviously there slightly, slightly off peak times. And there was a bunch of people who were kind of in small groups. I was like, this is a bit weird. So I was swimming around them. And then all of a sudden, the music starts and out pops the aqua aerobics <laughs> teacher. <laughs> and so I'm like, in the middle of it, I'm like, well, I can ostentatiously leave now or I can just join in. And I joined in. How was it? Good man. Uh, well, you know, as girls just want to have fun, blared out over the tannoy. I'm like, uh, it was really good. What's your go-to water aerobics move? It turns out there are multiple ones. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which are so all, which like, are, well, when you're like a fat calcified 44-year-old, everything is hard. What is it, like star jumps and what? stuff like that? There's a, there are star jumps, yeah. There's like running through the water. There's like kicking your opposite foot. Okay. There's, um, Was the know. only one of your demographic in there? Uh, pretty much. Pretty much. It's good, good to be the youngest experience. person in the room again for a change, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I'd, uh, had one of those experiences recently that prompted me to reassess my uh, my entire being, Ger. Um, very similar experience, except for it was an exercise class. And I was late, and it was um, it was all rather embarrassing. But uh, it did, it coupled with, I was having all the chatted a couple of months back about I was going back to do a bit of hurling. Coupled with that, where I basically wasn't able to walk properly and um, er- early after the exercise itself much at all, for up to up to three weeks afterwards and I was going back doing that bit of hurling and I just thought I need to stop doing that and I also need to address this thing that this issue I've had at my knees for about 20 years I'd say but it was like this sort of a slow onset where you kind of think no it'll be you know I'm never going to do enough anyway to really warrant 
putting in the yards that you need to do if you go to a physio. So I did bits and pieces of it, but basically I got it properly seen to um, about six weeks ago. And I have a thing called patellar tendinopathy, um, which is of course really you painful. Do. I, uh, it's the it's the tendon that joins your knee to your shin, and uh, there's a particular um, area, particularly just under the lower end of my right knee, that the, the thing that probably was like I couldn't even kneel down on the thing. You know what I mean? You're playing around with the kids, and you go to kneel on your knee, and it's agony, and it's like you're right, okay, I don't need to accept that I'm creeping, to, uh, you know, through middle age here, I'm barely able to walk. So I went and got it seen to So I'm I'm not doing any actual training for the uh, triathlon, but I'm doing a program of exercises and stretches four times a week. It's about forty minutes, and it's total torture. Right, and and does that register on the strain? Does uh, yeah, yeah does yeah it does and it tells me i'm very strained by doing it which i gives me some reassurance right because like you end up after 40 minutes in absolute ball of sweat you're knackered like it's if i'd gone for a 20 minute run i would expect to feel similar levels of like fatigue afterwards but yeah no it's i i I put it in under functional fitness on the app and it's telling me like the last one i did on saturday uh 7.8 strain so that'd be pretty high wouldn't it 6.4 before that um That'd be pretty high on the strain, the strain factor. But it's looking, it's tough going. And my, I'm working off the assumption, and like it's just now that you're talking about the date, I'm realizing how quickly it's coming up. And the swimming, of course, I can do anytime because it, it's actually pretty good for it. Um, cycling. It turns out it's pretty good for this condition as well. Running, not so much. So why don't really you do the whole thing? Come on, you can do the whole thing if you can do the swim and the run. Once you can do the run, you can do the whole thing. I can't run. Like yeah, that. shin splint. So uh, I'm going to do the other two bits. There you are, like supporting scoring on my patellar. Uh, tendinopathy, and you're like crying off a chin splits. Well, no, you're, you just have something fancy. That's uh, of course, <laughs> of course, you got the most diagnosed. fancy thing available. Diagnosed, diagnosed. Um, yeah, look, and I could do, I could do. I know there are some gaps to be filled in. I'm, I'm taking one for the team here, basically, Jerry. Um, there are some gaps to be filled in uh, with some of the legs that need doing. So, of course, Owen, um, Owen has quietly gone about becoming a cyclist in the meantime, but has has steadfastly refused to get involved in this for fear of another humiliation. That's I ultimately. too have patellar tendinopathy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just a disgrace. Painful, lad. I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's it's. I know you're laughing about it, but bloody hell, um, yes. it's it's painful, and it's also. It's the sort of thing, right, where I've been to see... So I went to see the physio. I got to see him once every two, three weeks. He'd give you a program. He'd give you an update, figure out how you're getting on. Um, and it's... Committing to that, it's tough. Like, you know, good luck with the triathlon training and you go out for a bit of a run and you go for a swim and a cycle. And at least you're building up the fitness. With this thing, like, I've been doing it now for whatever it is, like five weeks, and I feel no... And he's, he tells me this is just the way it has to be for the next little while. I feel no positive impact from it at all. Like It's it's as if I've done nothing in terms of the pain in my knees still. So I palm grannies, basically, and I'm trying to work through it. All right, well, uh, the exercise bike is going to be your friend then over the next while. Uh, well, we wish you the very best of luck with that. What are the main benefits so far of, um, of having a, a wearable coach advising you, go a bit harder, get to bed, which is exactly what the Woo 4.0 does. What are the benefits <laughs> for you? Well, when you're out on a Saturday night, you're, and it uh, tells you, <laughs> you think you've been in bed for like uh, eight or nine hours, <laughs> and the whoop is telling you, oh, you didn't get that much quality sleep. That's definitely one uh, one element of it. I have taken, I've, I've taken reassurance from the fact that it's telling me I'm actually getting a proper workout. You know, like when I'm talking to the physio afterwards, and I'm like, listen, I, I, I'm knackered here. This is this level of loading that you're giving me. 
um, on the upper end, and I've got the evidence there. He's not just like oh, this guy's this guy's spoofing it up. Um, so no, it's been really useful on that front, and I will be interested to see once I get out. And I will obviously have to go. And I'll be doing a swim. I've got my aqua band as well um, when I get into the pool and, and do some proper swimming to build up that bit of mileage as well. So I'll be interested to see what happens there. But yeah, the sleep thing is is interesting and definitely giving me the level of exertion that I've confirming the level of exertion Jared, that I know I'm actually doing has been powerful. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I've done more than I actually have. That's the bit that uh, I need right. to I need to catch up with, uh, or I need to um, You're like, oh, make the wheel catch up with me. The Bluetooth must have dropped out there for about fifteen <laughs> a- minutes. Adrian, good stuff. Thanks a million. <laughs> Thanks, lads. Uh, Team OTB are taking on Triathlon this June. It's all in partnership with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. What do you think your inner potential is, Owen? Oh. God, just it's it's. I don't know what it's going to turn out to be once it gets unlocked. Wow, it's just this beast, this athletic beast that's ready to conquer the world. It's athletic, is it? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But something that the whoop would pick up. So that has to be athletics, doesn't it? Uh, snark. It doesn't. It doesn't have a no. A, the fifth pillar is isn't snarkiness. I, I wish it was. How did uh, aerobics uh, go on your whoop? Uh, it was higher than I it would have been if I had just been swimming. Because like, there's the other thing. The other thing that I did definitely realize, and we had Brian Driscoll on Friday night, and he was like, uh, I, "I he needs somebody to help him go training, otherwise he he won't do it." And like being involved in a class and more people, the peer pressure of that was definitely better than the. I've done like seven minutes in the pool here. I can easily hop out and sit in the sauna for ten minutes, and that'll be my fifteen minutes of exercise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Being forced to stay there and do stuff that was good for you. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're a good swimmer, though. I can swim, but you can answer. Yeah, that's probably my level of being a good swimmer. Actually, being able to swim. Well, I, you know, there were other better swimmers in our in our little group. And Tom Malone was the best. Oh, swimmer. Tom Malone was yeah. absolutely outstanding. Yeah, fish, fish, yeah. Uh, it's eight forty. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Ah, come on, Daniel. He stayed. That's Lingard because he's on a huge contract. West Ham couldn't come close to matching it. No, but the point was that Manchester United could have given him 50 grand a week or 35 grand a week to top up whatever West Ham were doing to get rid of him. Uh, MOC says good riddance to the lot of them. And Porrick says shock of the weekend for me was Owen telling us Tony Kelly was only 28. I thought he was in the same age group as Joe Canning and those. Um, now he's still, he, there's still a, a possibility that we haven't seen the peak yet of Tony Kelly. And that's why something weird could happen. He's fully fit. He's had a, a largely uninterrupted league campaign. They have Shane O'Donnell back They've dug him back. They've like that's a forward line now that you're like, Ooh, what's going to happen here? Yeah, they can uh, attack us in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, it's, it's ten seasons now, Tony Kelly. Uh, at at the end of this year, so he probably like there's a, a, a lot of hurling that's to be played. But he's just been excellent since. Like, if we, what would you say? Anthony Martial was excellent after COVID. Kelly uh, went up a level after COVID as well. It felt that 2020 season was where it was like, okay, he's back. Um, I remember having him on after that, and he was talking about just loving that time of the year because obviously he'd been sensational for the club. Uh, in the winter as well and now he's actually I mean, it's a bit wintry it was a bit cold it was a bit, it was a bit chilly and he's just like yeah he's going to score that from everywhere in the pitch uh, can't believe why when all the football is being played by Manchester City and Liverpool everyone seems to be fascinated by the shit show of Manchester United at the moment says Barry what are you talking about Barry it's one of the greatest stories in the history of world football it's like a constant everyday exploding car clown clown car <laughs> <laughs> exactly Carl Maloney, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, lads. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I can't complain. <laughs> oh, that's, I'm blaming long COVID for that. Uh, where are we starting? 
Uh, well, let's start with uh, football from yesterday. And Liverpool back to within a point of uh, Premier League leaders Manchester City after a 2-0 win against Everton in the Merseyside derby. Second half goals from Andy Robertson and sub Divock Origi. Seal victory at Anfield to keep Jurgen Klopp's side in the title race with five games left to play. Elsewhere, Burnley moved above Everton at the other end of the table thanks to a 1-0 win over Wolves while Chelsea beat West Ham by the same scoreline and Brighton and Southampton played out a 2-all draw. Action this evening as well. Leeds can move seven points clear of the relegation zone tonight. That's if they beat Crystal Palace. Kickoff for that game is at 8 o'clock at Selhurst Park. Uh, here at home in Geta Games yesterday, Johnny Heaney's early goal proved decisive as goal. We beat Mayo in their Connacht Football Championship clash at Mikhail Park yesterday. The Trisman were 114 to 16 points winners uh, to set up a semi final meeting with Leitrim in Ulster. Big win for Donegal. They beat Armagh by 116 to 12, and they'll play Cavan in the last four. In Leinster, a hat trick for Kevin Quinn was the highlight as Wicklow beat Leash by uh, 515 to 412 in Ocker to advance to a Leinster quarter-final against Meath next weekend. John Mohan's offly heading for the Talchon Cup following a 115-112 loss to Wexford while Louth beat Carlo by 5-10-10 points. And in Hurling, Tipperary remain without a win after two rounds of the Munster Championship after the 3-21-2-16 defeat to Clare. That game was at Semple Stadium yesterday and Tony Kelly scored 1-7 uh, for the winner. Some Gaelic games action tonight as well. That's the Munster under-20 football final. Kerry take on Cork thrown for that match is at half-past seven. In rugby, the Ireland women's rugby head coach Greg McWilliams says his charges will stay positive despite a heavy defeat to England in the Six Nations yesterday. They conceded 59 points in the second half as they lost by 69 points to nil at Welford Road. Seni Nayupu receiving a second half red card. Dorothy Wall was also sin-binned in the second half and Ireland conclude their campaign at home to Scotland next weekend. In golf last night, Xander Schauffele and Patrick Cantlay held their nerve in the back nine to win the Zura Classic of New Orleans last night. The American pair ended on 29 under par. That was two shots better than Sam Burns and Billy Horschel, Shane Larry and Ian Poulter finished in 13th on a final total of 21 under. Uh, the World Snooker Championship continues this afternoon. Neil Robertson trails by two frames ahead of the resumption of his second round match against Jack Lazowski. 9-7 in favour of Lazowski uh, in that match. Judd Trump, meanwhile, three frames away from booking his place in the next round. He leads Anthony McGill by 10 frames to six and the first to 13 in both of those matches set to progress uh, to the next round. And there's racing finally at Nace this evening where the first is off at a quarter to five. Which games were you at at the weekend? Uh, I was at Kilkenny and Leash in the hurling on Saturday and then yesterday I was watching uh, Wicklow and Leash in the football. Oh right. Absolute cracker. Right. It was brilliant. Um, Wicklow were made, like brilliant and, and Leash in fairness to them as well kept coming back. Uh, Wicklow did lead at one stage by 5.13 to 2.6. Uh, and Leash kind of rallied towards the end but it was a huge result for Wicklow Kevin Quinn got a hat-trick um, Did so it feel like when the 5.13 to 2.6 was becoming 5.13 to 4.12 that it, like there was uh, something in it or mm. never felt Yeah, like I mean there was uh, there was actually a goal mouth scramble towards the end as well that Leash almost got another goal as the game entered injury time and actually after that their, their corner forward Gary Walsh got sent off um, so there was a chance maybe that they, they could have pulled it back uh, but for Wicklow it's a huge result because they obviously had a management change over uh, mid-season as well they struggled in the league both of those teams were relegated from, from Division 3 so it's a real boost for Wicklow to get that result and Ockram still a notoriously difficult place to go for for every team really um, Leash will have to rebound now for the Talchon Cup and Leinster, the Leinster Football Championship I mean everyone has been talking about the fact that it's it's dead and everything like that, but this weekend, I mean, the two biggest results, arguably, you could say, was was Wicklow's win over Leash and uh, Wexford beating Offaly, yeah, uh, which was another huge result given Offaly's upward trajectory. You would have thought in the last couple of years, and, and Wexford had struggled in Division Four this year as well, but that's a, another. 
big win for them at Wexford Park and they play the Dubs I think next week so uh, let's they've, they've pushed Dublin close before as well haven't they in recent years so just last year wasn't it yeah, yeah. that was yeah. the start of uh, the disease yeah. the virus getting into the system in the Dubs yeah and you'd, ha- you'd have to say that they've, they've kind of maybe looked like their form has regressed a little bit further than that as well in uh, Chadwick's Wexford Park as well Live in Sky Sports set up for a famous night for, for Wexford um, and then Nicol Kenny Hurlers, uh, very difficult to tell exactly. Yeah, I mean, Leash have been ravaged by injuries this year. Uh, they lost two more players, having pushed Dublin close the week before. Podge Delaney uh, with a serious sh- shoulder, a collarbone injury, I think, um, the week before their co-captain. So obviously that was a big loss. And Ross King, the corner forward, missed out at, uh, on this week's game as well through injury. And they've, they've been plagued by injury this year. But Kenny looked really good. I think they've obviously motored quite uh, quietly so far because they've played Westmeath and Leash, who were generally considered the two weakest teams in the Leinster Championship but the big game now next weekend in Salt Hill Galway against Kilkenny uh, it's going to be very interesting to see but I mean Kilkenny had TJ Reid back uh, this week Adrian Mullen scored six points from, from midfield a lot of positives for them uh, they, they did a lot of stuff right and scored 234 and they've racked up two big scores which is important in the context of that championship in terms of scoring difference but I suppose the real litmus test now is their three games coming up Galway, Wexford and, and Dublin you'll really see where they are. But I do get the sense that Kilkenny might have a say in the latter stages. Well, it's worked out very well for them in terms of the fixture list. Mm. Uh, you know, at the end of the league, you want to make sure that all the Ballyhill players are back in and eased in nice and gently. And you've got, oh, two fairly handy games to start with. Mm. Yeah, true. Now, they didn't impress uh, against Westmeath in the first half. I think Westmeath at one stage led by four points. And Kilkenny were only three ahead of the break in the first half of their, their game uh, the week before in Mullingar. But they pulled away and scored something like 523 uh, in that match in the end, and then 234 the last night as well. But, you know, I mean, Galway, probably by all accounts, they, they weren't overly impressive in either of their matches so far, um, and obviously slipped to that result against Wexford, the draw in the first round. So they'll have a bit between the teeth, and obviously you have the Henry Shefflin, Brian Cody factor that's going to be, I suspect, uh, well covered in the media this week in the lead up to that game. It really is uh, going to be interesting, the sideline battle there. And Galway probably do need to produce a big performance at least. And if they could pull a result, you feel it would be a big one for Henry Shefflin so early on in his tenure. All right, Carl, good stuff. Thanks very much for Thanks, that. Lads. It's uh, 8.48. Uh, Roy Keane is being linked with the Hibs job, Owen. What do you think of this? Well, uh, Hibs are obviously choosing madness, isn't it? Uh, like to, to, to go down this path. Not that it wouldn't necessarily work out. I think that there's still a chance that Roy Keane could do a job somewhere, but it's definitely... Uh, it's definitely a little bit of left field thinking at the moment to to think that a manager who can take you forward is is Roy Keane. Like they had Sean Maloney, they sacked him after. Um, I guess he kind of like grafted up the ranks to a certain degree over the last little while. He was involved with Belgium, uh, and it seemed that he had kind of like a good fledgling career. It seems that the ownership at at Hibs wouldn't be uh, kind of too too kind of capable of, of swerving. Uh, chaos and they're deciding that, that Roy Keane may be the, the job for them going back to Scotland obviously it could be something that interests Roy Keane going back into management is something that definitely interests Roy Keane it seems like it, it does seem though that he's given up mixed messages over the last yeah. five been like I'm done I'm not done where it seems the most recent utterances have been I'm I'm ready to go back in again well he just had a podcast with somebody was it was it Carraher? Yeah, where he says he's done, and then he has he, did he not say something since then again? Oh, did he? I, I missed that bit. That that he was uh, he was ready to to go back in again. Uh, I don't I don't think that I, like I, I don't think that he can. This really is another bunch of Americans who are based in America, as opposed to like uh, the chairman sitting there every day with who's the owner and like graphing to try and create something and a new culture. And it's like no, you can't you can't no, you can't do this. Now, Edinburgh is a very nice part of the world. 
that would be like it's not Sunderland it's not Glasgow it's like it's Edinburgh uh, you, we, could li- you could live a very nice life in Edinburgh yeah yeah like I mean we, we were I mean, like, maybe these people who, who run Hibernian look at the club like the owners of Manchester United do where it's like having Roy Keane at the helm would be a very good commercial decision like signing Paul Pogba for Manchester United was a very good commercial decision maybe maybe I'm sorry I, I was just uh, down a minor succession wormhole in my own brain there I was like oh I bought your hearts Ibs. <laughs> 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 and maybe, maybe I don't know is there is there maybe there's a Roman Roy in the background here and Roman Roy and Roy Keane would be like absolute box office dynamite like see that's the thing people are like oh you're, you'll take Roy Keane away from our televisions and all that entertainment will be gone I think Roy Keane being an actual football manager again is pretty entertaining yeah he is but he's just not on every week like he will be he'll be on in his pre-match press conference every week and his post-match press conference he'll have to dial that down questions only about hymns please no seriously stop asking questions about everything else <laughs> what do you think of Ten Hag oh no no comment I've been told not to comment. Uh, right, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's 8.51. Port Joyce spoke with Ashing O'Reilly after a side saw off Mayo yesterday. Enjoy this. Well, 15 minutes in the second half, we went, we went flat again. So um, you, can't, you can't do that against a good team like Galway and hope to, hope to win it. Um, but, but having said that, we had, we, we, we had 17 chances in the second half and we, we kicked seven of them. So you're not going to win anything with that either. So, so look, we, 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 we got what we deserved today, unfortunately. Third quarter was tough. Um, you know, I think it was the first and twenty-second minute with the scores and losing Oshin Mullen in that period as well. It just seemed to take the wind out of the sails a bit. Yeah, d- definitely. Yeah, I think it did. Yeah, it, it went a bit flat and and um, uh, we, we, we were struggling definitely to, to generate anything during that period. I think Lee kicked a point to get us going and we, and we took off from there again. But there are the things we're trying to. We're trying to cut out of the game, regardless of what happens. Trying to keep going at a, at a, at a certain certain level. So we, we just didn't do that for long enough today, and, and got our got the result. Unfortunately. Do you know yet how bad that injury is? It's probably very early. No, he's wrapped up wrapped up in there. Um, scan tomorrow, and we'll, we'll see where it is. And qualifier next, James. But it's not unknown to these this, these this team and these players. Yeah, it's look. It's it's. Um, I suppose previous years we might have had the chance that we'll have this year. So we, we could have four six weeks. So. We'll certainly um, stick together and be strong and, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll work hard to, to try and be in better shape for, for the next game. And, and James, the likes... James, the Go ahead. Weeks, um, instead of, say, two weeks, you'd be playing Leitrim if you'd won today, a six-week layoff. How are you going to approach that? Are you going to give lads a week off? Or what's the mindset? Oh, there'll, there'll be... Yeah, we'll, we'll meet next Friday, but we've a lot of guys that have very little work done, you, you know, from injuries, uh, etc. So it'll be a great chance to, to get a lot of guys... Um, Get them up to the get them up to the level that they can get to. So so we'll we'll, we'll use that wisely. But 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 we'll just take a break and um, just reflect a, a little bit on today, and and we'll we'll, we'll fire up again next Friday. And how's Paddy Jerkins injury? Uh, Paddy's good. He was he, he was. Um, um, uh, he'll be very close in the next week or so to to, to full training. Is the toll of injuries just too much at the moment, James? Given the level of the quality of the player you're missing, no teams. Really be able to cope with that. Yeah, it's, it's it's far from ideal. We we've a lot of players that had very little work done in in the last three weeks. I suppose just just getting them back to um to to a level where where, where they can compete. So so it's far from ideal. Yeah, and and you know you have a lot of modified sessions or whatever. But we 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 have a strong panel and we you know you know we gave a lot of fellas during the league game time and and um, 
you know, for for that reason, there's always going to be an attrition rate in, in, in Gaelic football, particularly particularly with with the travel and everything that we had this year. So, so um, it is what it is, but it's not ideal for sure. The rivalry between Galway and Mayo has been fantastic over the years, but your first defeat as a manager to Galway does that add a, another layer of pain to it? Or any any defeat is any defeat is tough. Um, yeah, and the manner of defeat too can be can can, can be tough, but. But it, it, it's done. We, we, we'll take we'll take what we can from it and try and figure figure some more stuff out. We need to move on straight away. So that's that's just the way it is. That's obviously James Horan there speaking to the assembled press in the immediate aftermath of their one point defeat to Galway in the Connacht Football Championship yesterday. Uh, Roy King would only go to Scotland if it was to manage Celtic, says Patsy. But that's not true, Patsy. I mean, he was offered the Celtic job, it seems, and then uh, decided not to take it. And it now seems as if the sendings coming from his camp are that he is interested in this Hibs job. So I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem to make that much sense on any level for anybody really like we've been through this with Sunderland I was just about to say like we, are we just going to have the exact same conversation right yeah. now yeah. yeah stay on TV you're really good at it you actually seem to be enjoying it like but it does make sense though You like I mean it does make sense on some level Roy Keane wants to has a competitive edge that he wants to scratch I mean but is him going to give you the opportunity to do that yeah how? Every football club does. It doesn't, because you're up against Celtic and Rangers. That that league is skewed. Like, the best you can ever hope for is to finish third, and if you finish third, you've done a good job. Yeah. like And, and like, week in, week out, you're playing games, you're managing a team, you're overseeing, you know, that charge to third, if if they can get there. If he wants to, if he wants to be involved in football, come back and take, take Cork City. Or, or better still, Cove Ramblers. Go out and live in Cove. It's a nice part of, nice part of the world. He talked about moving home before. It's definitely at the time if you're interested in football like what are you going to Hibs for? Like, What's the point of that? I, 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 I can see you know it is a bit random but it is still like a football club like then the general idea of him going back into football management does make sense on some perspective like from his perspective it does um, But it's a bad career move That's a different in thing a very long that's time That's a different thing Really very long time since he was involved at that level Yeah like I doubt I think that that's just a different conversation whether or not it will work out or not. I don't know. All right. 8.56 this morning. Time to turn to rugby. Alan Quinlan is with us. Alan, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. Good, thanks. Um, the sentiment of most of our fans, the arrow's pointing up. It's back-to-back wins in big games on the road against a, a provincial rival. Um, in a match that like, it looked like they were comfortable in for most of the time. Yeah, they were pretty comfortable, I think. Um it was a very good performance given um, the expectation going up there and the, the, the danger of playing in the Kingspan. And I suppose um, Ulster looked like a side that were still probably reeling from, from the loss against Toulouse the week before, but um, a little bit of consistency in, in selection. I know there was a few changes, but um, performance-wise, it gives them a bit of hope now that if they can you know, build on what they've they've done the last couple of weeks. Um, they have a decent chance of of uh, doing doing okay in the playoffs and and uh, being better prepared for Toulouse in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, I think that you can see the confidence and the passing is a lot better. And um, still worries and concerns around some of the set piece, but um, it was a lot better, Ger. Uh, is Craig Casey first choice now, or what's the what what's the level of competition at? Where's the pendulum? Um, it's a difficult one. It's one I, I keep getting asked. Um, I, I, look, I think he's shown he's he's um, he's a top quality player. I think he's still prone to making a mistake or two. Um, 
some of his kicking isn't isn't as it's not as good as Conor Murray. But to be fair to Conor Murray, he was really good in the two extra games as well. So I think having the ability to to um, to have either or start and probably the, the the gap that we spoke about for years with Ireland, particularly around Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton, well, it's 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 closed a little bit uh, with Monster, and I think he is kind of putting his hand up for for selection, particularly this time of year. Um, when you have to attack teams, and he does add add a little bit more as regards that pace and zip. But Conor Murray is still, I think he's played, like I said, played very well in the last couple of weeks. So I'm not sure. Um, would you start Craig Casey against Toulouse, or would you start Conor Murray? You know, Murray was vital in the two weeks, uh, the two games against Exeter, given his his size and physical presence. Um, he had some turnovers in that game. So they both have different strengths. I think Craig Casey's strength is obviously his passing and speed delivery and uh Connor Murray's still very, very important defensively for, for, for Munster when he plays. So I'm not really sure who you start in that game. Um I suspect that Johan Van Grang will still go for Connor Murray, uh, given his experience and, and that physical presence that he has. But certainly the signs are good that you know in, in Maybe some of the evolution and change that's needed that Craig Casey is going to be a big part of that going forward. Yeah, so the future is bright, but the present is actually pretty bright as well in that you do have a player who's being driven to reach the levels that we know he's capable of in uh, in Murray and that if he, he comes off or if he's injured or if anything happens that you've got a replacement now who's not going to be in any way over yeah, what's happening. Yeah, I, I, th- I think if Conor Murray was injured, you'd... There wouldn't be as much panic that Craig Casey is coming in. There'd be no panic at all, really. I think he's improved his game a lot. And obviously, when you're training with the Irish squad and seeing the different standards there, and, and we know he can be, you know, we know Craig Casey's qualities and what he can do. And he's shown us glimpses, lots of glimpses of that. I think just some of the game management and some of the decision making, and, and that's obvious, he's still a very young player, but um, it's still pretty positive for Munster. But um, it's much better in the last couple of weeks that you know they've they've got some positive results. I think that that is a big result there. They hadn't won in Belfast since 2016, so um, it instills a bit of confidence and belief in the side. And I think the Keith Earls try was as good a try as I've seen from Munster in years. Um, so I think there's probably they're probably feeling good about themselves. They've Cardiff at home next week now, and then Leinster as well. So. Um, they could have been eighth there, and we were talking Friday with Adrian about the results, the way they could have panned out. Munster could easily have been down eighth, and if they would have been, because the Bulls now are eighth and 48 points, um, that's where Munster would have sat if they lost the game. So they're up to third now, and um, they're in a good, decent place, I suppose, and they're, they've, with two games left. Like obviously the the questions around Munster at the moment, while things are positive, are about the coaching ticket and who's going to be in there next year. Like one of the the links over the last couple of days has been with Dennis Leamy and Bernard Jackman was making the point in the paper yesterday that he'd bring a, a good wealth of knowledge about some of the academy prospects going through at Leinster as well. Uh, is is there any truth to this? Is there anything that you've heard that suggests that Leamy could be making a bit of a Munster comeback? Not really. I'm just hearing the rumours as well. Um, I'm sure Leinster. Um won't want to use it, lose him. Um, I think he he probably slipped through the net in Munster and um, Leinster picked him up a couple of years ago with their academy and obviously um, Leo's impressed with him, brought him into the senior squad and, you know, I heard Josh van der Fleer speaking about him. 
he's kind of been sitting behind the scenes quietly, hasn't he, in Leinster? And not a lot said. He's not there on match days. He he does uh, the contact skills and breakdown work and defensive stuff um, with them during the week. A uh, mixture of all of that. Um, but look, I played with Dennis for a long time. He's a great character. Um, he's quiet. Um, he's the kind of fellow when you when he speaks, people listen and. Um, He's still relatively inexperienced, uh, but it wouldn't, you know, it's it's no surprise that uh, Munster are looking to try and get someone like him back. And um, if it's, we don't know. I don't know. We're only hearing that hearing that speculation. I think again, we were speculating a lot, a lot about Graham Rowntree and the, the head coach position. Um, Mike Prendergast has been mentioned, and Dennis Leamy. They're the only two people I've heard outside of of um, of of you know, in the, in the public, if you like, in the last few weeks. But um, do you think Prendergast? I think it would be exciting. Do you think Prendergast is likely? Um, I would say pretty likely. Um, it depends. Um, I think he's definitely someone that Munster are interested in, and vice versa. But you know, I, I think Mike still has, is contracted in France, and so. Who knows where that's going to end up? You know what I mean. And if 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 he's actually going to make that decision, I think for any person working in sport, and um, if if you know, I I would say that Munster interests him. Of course, he's been on the road for for nine years now in France, and um, you know to go back to your hometown club and probably similar with Dennis. Dennis is trying to progress his career in in, in rugby coaching as well. He's in an incredible environment at the moment. Does he decide to stay with that and develop himself more? That's that's a real possibility. And it's the same for Mike. Um, does he stay on in France? I think he's very well respected there. But um, I think the management team that, that Graham Rowntree assembles, that's really important because um, it's blatantly obvious that um, the players needs, need to be upskilled more and the attack game needs to be improved more. And... I think putting the ingredients and the people involved that can do that. And I think having former Munster players come back in is the way to go now. If they're available and if they've got good coaching CVs, which certainly Mike, Mikey Prendergast has, and uh, Dennis is less so because he's, he's, he's only in the game um, a couple of years, really. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that 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 like allied to Roundtree's experience, it's it will bring that sense of identity back pretty quickly, and it will be very exciting. The one thing you, you'd have to say is that like as the injuries have cleared up and as the uh, best players have been available for them, their attacking style seems to be evolving. It's not we're not we're not in the situation we were at the start of the season where we weren't sure what Munster were trying to do. They do appear to be trying to keep the ball alive more often. They do appear to be trying to get their best players in space more often. They do appear to have some ideas. And like it might be a massive oversimplification, but we've had a long period now, months, where we've had Joey Carberry fit, where Keith Earls is back in the team, where Damien Dielende is fit, where Chris Farrell is alongside him. You know, uh, they don't have strength and depth. And when those players are injured, it's not like Leinster who can put out a team and say, OK, play exactly the same way because we've 40 players who are almost as good as each other. For Munster, when their best players are playing well, they're a really good team. And I think that's the key for the next couple of weeks. And, you know, if you... Um, the season has been so stop-start and when you don't have the same depth um, across the board with, with COVID, with the injuries, with 
with all those disruptions that happened pre-Christmas, um, you get better when you play matches. That's very, very obvious. And I think they've improved in the last couple of weeks. Um, I think it shows around some of their attack that there is ca- the capabilities are there. And I think there's been a gradual change since Christmas, particularly since that Connacht game at Christmas, where that, that highlighted uh, a very blunt approach in the sports ground. Um, the, the lack of ambition to pass or, or attack um, and that was there for everybody to see. I think it was 45 passes in the game and Craig Casey had 24 or 5 of them himself. So um, I think they've, they've had to change and I think they've looked at it and tried to change um, and we've seen glimpses of that. There's still problems and issues around power and physicality and and the discipline in the last couple of weeks um, that away Exeter game. Um, set piece the other night was under pressure at times. Um, and nearly cost them in the end, but um, yeah, I think look, there's there, there's certainly been improvements. Have they enough power and strength uh, to go on and and you know get to a final of the URC or or progress to the semi final of Europe? There's there's still doubts there in my mind, but on their day, if they get things right, I think they can. They're in a much better place now than they were six months ago. Um. Leinster were beaten by the Sharks 28-23 it was a Sharks team festooned with Springboks and it was an unrecognisable Leinster team Um, and yet at the end of the game it was Leinster who were on the Sharks try line trying to get a try that would have uh, tied the game and maybe kick a conversion to win it Um, so I know that they're going to be disappointed that they didn't win the game but it's quite the performance to be able to go against a team like that and give yourselves an opportunity to win it. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I think um, they they did so well in that game against an incredibly powerful side. And I think where they came unstuck and was probably um, line out mall and set and the scrum at times, and sometimes kind of just pure physicality in the contact areas. But they could have could have and possibly should have won that game at the end. They were attacking the. The Sharks line, um, and you know, you can see the reaction of, of of the Sharks players at the end. Loads of South African internationals playing in that team. Um, Khaleesi, who's the South African captain, you didn't really see much of him in the game. I was I was surprised and shocked, um, but incredible power from them. But let's be honest, this was a Leinster B side who nearly beat the Sharks in South Africa, possibly could have. Um, so. It just shows the depth and the strength they have there in the squad and the amount of changes that Leo Cullen was able to make. Even some of the substitutions during the game. Um, I think Andrew Porter was coming off at one stage and I was like, Jesus, um, you know, they're defending a five-meter line-out and you're taking off Andrew Porter. But I think Leo just um, has the confidence and has a real belief in, in 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 his squad and in some of those younger players, the hunger and the desire to uh, to perform at that level, and um, they're in a very good place. Um, I think they can. They're they're nine points ahead of the Stormers. They could probably afford to, you know, pick up a couple of losing bonus points or losing bonus point this week against the Stormers. And I know they'll want to beat Munster in the last game, but they're definitely going to be in the top two, um, even if they, they didn't do, win the last two games. So. Um, 
in a very very strong position and I think when when you consider all the internationals they can they can bring back when they come back from South Africa um, their focus will solely be on winning the European Cup and winning the URC and I think they're they're certainly the team and the squad to beat Can we just move on to yesterday at Welford Road Alan in the Six Nations Ireland's hammered 69-0 by England it was 10-0 at half time the extra fitness the professionalism uh, that kind of feeds into that fitness was just blatant to see in that second half and we were having this conversation with you on Friday about the missing sevens players and like you make the very valid point that in an ideal world having depth to be able to have a good sevens programme and a good fifteens programme is where every rugby country wants to be. When you look at that performance yesterday though, at what stage are, if we take into account the report and all the good work that, that might be being done behind the scenes, are these sort of results actually doing long-term damage whereby any young person watching that game yesterday isn't necessarily being pushed to play rugby with the view for playing for Ireland because England are just so, so far ahead of them. And at what point did the IRFU actually need to start taking a very short-term view on this to try and arrest the growing gap between Ireland and the bigger teams? And I mean professional contracts. And I, I know they'll want a long-term plan, but at what point do they need to start you know, shipping some water now at this point and, and trying, to get, trying to close that gap now and for next year's Six Nations? Yeah, I think that's something that's probably going to happen probably sooner rather than later because, but we're not surprised on, are we, by the results? I think, um, you know, nobody's shocked here. Just England are the best team in the world and the conditioning, the tries they scored yesterday, uh, the accuracy, the power, the, the complete uh, mix, mix that they can bring to their game is, is phenomenal. Um, regarding kind of putting younger girls off, I, I don't think that that would be um, something that's, that that this would scare people to go and play for Ireland because I I believe that we're at a we're at a kind of a point now where I wouldn't say it's bottom of the barrel it's but it can only get better I think the development the skills the structures um, the short term solution um, probably is contracts and trying to contract contract players because what we saw yesterday would would indicate that. You know, fitness, power, um, strength and conditioning, all that, those kind of things came into play in the second half. And being a full-time athlete as opposed to amateur athletes, um, I know some of the girls play in England, but the English team, you know, they can rest and recover this morning. They can do their ice baths. They can have their recovery day. The, the rest of the Irish girls are back to work or back to college or whatever they're doing. Um, so does that not suggest so that England are the ones that are going to get better rather than Ireland? Like if you're saying that this no, is the bottom think, of the barrel, well, I mean, there's no got, guarantee that England got, don't open the gap further. Yeah, they could. Of course they could. They can, they, they, they've got better in the last number of years, got more powerful. And um, this isn't a quick solution, Adrian, that we contract uh, 20 Irish girls and, and they're going to be um, in incredible shape for, 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 for the next six nations. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. It's going to take a couple of years. And what you want to see is improvements, skill improvements, strength improvements, um, rugby knowledge, um, more understanding, um, higher quality games in the AIL, more, more players coming through. Um, and the report suggests all that, that it's going to happen. Um, but I think some, of course, some of, some of the Irish players, I think maybe, maybe the short term solution is to try and, um, at least get part time contracts or, or, or get those players contracted in the next, um, period of time. But it's difficult, um, to just, 
like I said, it's not something that we did we didn't expect before the weekend. We knew this was was capable of happening. They've scored forty two tries in four games, the English players, and of course they could get better. But on the evidence of what you see from them now, um, there, there's there's very little room to improve uh, anymore because they're so dominant against every side they play against, um, and I think it's. It's something now that has to, yeah, definitely be looked at and activate some of the points that came up in the report. Um, but the danger, I think what's more important here on the short-term solutions contract, some of contract the players. But, you know, if you have a raft of those players then that get injured or, or missing or, or not playing well, you know, it's the players coming up. I think. It has to go hand in hand with development. Okay. I think that's really important and to try and increase the level of, of, of the competition and the level, the level of, of games we see in the AL week after week. Okay. Get more girls playing. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think it's something that uh, certainly could be accelerated. All right. We've got to leave it there. Alan Quillen, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Cheers. Looking forward to this week's episode of the Red 78 podcast where there'll be more analysis and reaction to the Ulster game and looking forward to what's coming down the tracks over the next few weeks. And no doubt speculation about what the makeup of the backroom team under Graham Rantry is going to look like. It's 15 minutes past nine this morning. Here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today. If you want to listen to this, you just tell your smart speaker to play OTB Sports Radio. Uh, Declan Murphy is at one o'clock. Uh, Gary Halpin, uh, retrospective at three o'clock. Paul Flynn uh, career interview at four. OTB Gold with Dr. Harry Edwards at six. And then live tonight, the show from seven. Kevin Walsh is up next. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Mayo unveiled their new playing surface, uh, but it uh, ended up being a one-point defeat for them in the Connacht Football Championship against Goa. I'm delighted to say Kevin Walsh is with us to give us some analysis of what happened. Kevin, a topsy-turvy game that uh, almost ended in a draw at the end. What was your take on, on, on first off, let's start with Galway's performance. What did you make of it? I suppose, look, it was, um, as you said, topsy-turvy. It was, you, know, you hear of a game of two halves, but it was like a game of four quarters uh, where... Bobby obviously started off well, went maybe six points ahead, and Mayo closed the gap at half time. And again, Galway came out well again, and Mayo closed the gap towards the half and fell short. But I suppose look at Galway controlled the game to be honest, and they definitely were far more efficient <clears throat> with, their, with the chances they had. And um, I suppose you know the downfall of the game for Mayo was possibly their long free taker was non-existent, and they didn't seem to have, to have one from the from the right hand side, which. You know, um, would have cost a little bit as well. But in fairness to Galway, I suppose they, they did they did they did show that bit of bite, and it was very important that when Mayo came back at them before half time, that they, they they came out again, and they did in the first half, the second half. So, uh, albeit there's a lot of learnings from it, um, the fact that they almost closed the gap at the end. What do you think the learnings from Galway's perspective will be? I think they're going to have to look at, I suppose, either way, whether you, whether you win or you lose, uh, the two imposters are the same. So it's really important that they look at. At the analysis of it, because sometimes winning can 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 cover over cracks and losing can can be too deep at times. So, like if, if you look at the, the kickouts, for instance, I think Galway only won nine of their own nineteen that went long, and I think that's a low enough percentage where that will have to be upped. Where I think Mayo won six of their eight long ones, so that that needs to be worked on. I think uh, the fact I think they got something like twenty six attacks in the game, um, and got twenty two shots off, which is good. That's really really good. Um, shooting, getting shots off. 
But again, you have to wonder on the Mayo side how they let 22 out of 26 shots off, what the defence was like. I think we called it last week that when Mayo are unable to stop teams coming out like they were three or four years ago, they needed to have a plan B in the back, like with a sweeper or whatever you want to call it at different times to protect the back. And, uh, you know, when you get 22 shots off of 26 attacks, you'd have to wonder what Mayo's intensity in the back was like. Um, I suppose the other thing is, you know, that like Damien Comer was top class yesterday. And there's a few other forwards you'd like to get a bit more involved that might just take a bit of the, the mantle there. Uh, just talk to us a little bit about the, the Mayo defence then for a moment, will you? Because uh, it certainly seems as if Galway had learned some of the lessons from the, the last couple of seasons where they had been fairly open at the back and, and they were funneling loads of bodies behind the ball who were being effective uh, at stopping Mayo. Why were Mayo not able to do the same thing? I suppose because it's about practice. And I, and I don't know if, they, if, they, if they've ever done that. I mean, if you go back over the years... Um, you know, you, you had a half-back line there of Turk and Boyle and Keegan who were a continuous threat pushing teams backwards. But they don't have those three there anymore. I know Keegan is there, but he's gone back in the back to fill up, fill up holes in the back where Keith Higgins has gone. So I'm not so sure how much Mayo ever placed their players yet. And don't forget as well, when you had McLaughlin going well up front and you're Keenan O'Connor going well up front and you're Jason Darting and you're uh, Andy Morden and those guys, they were really good at stopping the opposition coming out. Uh, which means they probably eventually got bodies funneled back but they had another 5 or 10 seconds to do that and now at the minute they're struggling and I'm just wondering with James Horton have you ever had the plan B to get into that that way and he had different players than he had 5-6 years ago you're going to have to adapt your game plan to the players which I have and I'm not too sure the Mayo have got there, got there yet yeah, Maybe it's a strength and depth issue as well I mean they did several key players injured including the goalkeeper and so their own uh, kickouts were erratic uh, Oshi Mullen goes off after um, half time and all of a sudden you are down the the uh, depth chart and maybe they just didn't have enough bodies to be able to do what they were trying to do Maybe but uh, I think they were still struggling when Ocean Mullen was on there I mean if you look at the, the one of the first two points call we got uh, Damon Comer knocked the ball down to himself he was going away from goal um, he turned maybe after 10 yards and the two Mayo guys were standing to look at him where he turned and just put the ball over and contested. That wasn't happening when, when the key takings of this world were, were there and Shane Mullen was on the field at the time. So it's just, I, I'm not so sure. James Durkin was obviously lost. The goalkeeper would have been lost for long, kick, long free kicks, which wasn't there for that. But, you know, I thought, I thought Burns' kickouts weren't that bad yesterday. So, but, uh, yeah, look, we're going to have to look at, at certainly having another style to go to window card. What did we see from Galway yesterday in terms of a defensive system that we didn't see earlier this year? Well, I, I, it was something I expected. I was down, at, I think I called it on the podcast last week, where I was down at the, at the Clare game in June in the league, and there was 1-2 each at half time where Galway had 15 behind the ball in the first 20 minutes. I mean, behind, not behind the ball, behind the halfway line. So it was obviously something that they were going to go back to. And for me, looking in, I think it's, it's, it's good to see that forward thinking that, you know, this... this I the, the the narrative of the Galway style back in the years gone by, like I would have, would have been, I'm talking about this for a long, long time. It's not about style; it's about moving on, and it's about doing the best thing for the team. And, and at the end of the day, like we have seen the goal coach, it's about taking space and making space. You don't have the ball; you take the space that matters. And when you do have it, you make the space that matters, and you get your best players in the best position. So, you know, like Galway were, were getting back well yesterday; they were behind. Midfield a lot of the time, one or two left up front, 
And why wouldn't you do that? That's 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 the way the game has gone. That's that's the most effective part of the game. And to win, you're going to, have to learn to do that. And I suppose that's where Mayo haven't moved yet, and maybe they'll start moving there now. But uh, Galway have, have been moving there now, which you could see during the league it was happening. And uh, it had happened once or twice last year as well. After maybe they decided to go full full press, they got a few, a few heavy beatings, so they learned from that. So it's just, just hopefully that the plan A, B, and C will be there for you know. You've got to look at this different ways. Like if you're with a strong a strong wind, it has to be what it's now. You should be pushing up all day. If you're against a strong wind and they have a very strong partnership against midfield partnership against you. You've got to be able to protect and cover over the top. So there's loads the what-if scenario and teams have got to be coached for all that and and it all depends on, on, on the clientele you've got for, for players. So are Mayo strong as they were up front before with their tackling? I don't think they are, so they need to adapt. It's interesting that you said that you saw signs of this defensive system last year at times from Galway. So like, what, has, is it different from, say, the, the first season of, of Podrick Joyce? Is this something that just didn't exist and, and now he's suddenly thought to himself, right, we need to have a bit more of a defensive system at times? But you look, I suppose you're going to learn that as you go along, but when, when you're shipped heavy scores and even in the league this year there was heavy scores shipped as well, um, you're going to ha- obviously have to look at that and, and you know that, that, that's what management is about there's backroom teams there's, uh, and, and analysts there's, there's a whole lot of there so it's about getting your team the best you, you, you can be and you know you're going to have to and Roscommon is going to pose or not Roscommon but whoever comes through the rest and, and Roscommon will now be favourites to come to the rest um, they will pose big big threats and you know you could see last night and you know that Galway were getting bodies back two seepers back at times and you know I'm not for sure that Mayo were strong enough even to, to, to try and uh, see could they, could they move the Galway sweepers around because the better teams will, will actually move them around and they will see I suppose, to make sure that they know exactly what they're doing. It was a weirdly flat performance from Mayo, wasn't it? Under the circumstances, first time back in the new, the new pitch and all that kind of stuff and a home crowd. Even the crowd seemed flat. Yeah, um, it was a funny kind of a game. Like I said, it was, it was like four quarters type of thing, you know? Um, I suppose the crowd started to get going towards the end when maybe they, they saw Mayo come back with a very late run. And it's so ironic that it was, had to be Lee Keegan that kicked the outside of the boot to maybe put a kickstart in the Mayo side. And, you know, probably the last, the last five or six minutes was the most time where the crowd got going. Yeah, so from Mayo's perspective, they have five, six weeks off now. It's a ridiculous scenario where they, you know, they go off and have a whole pre-season and it, they get to taper up again, um, and they they might have bodies back, and they'll certainly have uh, more training in the legs of the players who were um, just getting in under the wire yesterday to to start the game. So, what should we expect from them for the rest of the season? Yeah, look. To be fair, if you look at Kieran O'Connor this first day yesterday as well, which is probably a big ask. Uh, as you said earlier on, James Durkin is missing, and he's he's a, he's a big a big loss as well as, as is. Uh, the keeper there and, and Jordan Flynn midfield. So, you know, three or four bodies can make a huge difference. Um, but I still think they're going to have to adapt over the next number of weeks to get something else a little bit in place because no matter who comes in in the forwards, that they're not yet up to the standard where Andy Morden would have been. You know, Keenan O'Connor when he was going his best. Kevin McLaughlin was a real tiger when he was going his best. Um, so they're going to have to just look at other areas as well that to, 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 to I suppose to make them a stronger unit uh, depending on what opposition they won't be killed. And you know, the back door now doesn't give it three or four games where you might be getting less opposition. You're going to probably go into the line straight away. So 
But the only thing is they have a few weeks, a few weeks to to get together, and they'll probably rebuild really their teams looking for challenge matches. So it's uh, they've got a bit of time to get things right. From a Galway perspective, how important was it to get over the line? And like, so that there's a you know, there's a male forward with the ball, the weight of the ball in his hands, and if that goes over, we're headed for extra time. Uh, not a situation that they would have thought when they were, you know, making the substitutions with a five six point lead, the clock ticking into the red. I presume Galway thought they were going to see that game out. Uh, so they, they definitely, you know, they're not there yet as one of those cynical teams who can kill a game off. But it's much easier to have that analysis in the aftermath of a game that you've won than it is after you've lost. They're, those conversations are like, geez, we've got to wait one there, but don't do it again. So, <laughs> No, you're right. <clears throat> I suppose it's great to be able to learn a lesson and there's no consequence. And it, but, it, but again, I suppose it's something regardless. Like I said about the two imposters, the winning and losing, you can't you can't just walk away from it either because you know last year Monday got a late goal to to, to relegate Galway. Ross Common got a late goal this year when they looked like Galway of the league final. And Mayo almost came back there again yesterday, and he did get a shot off to draw that game. So either way, so that's something that Galway have to look at. Um, but as you said, it's, it's good to get away with with with, with, a, with a cheap lesson. But again, like look, there's still it was nervy moments, so it's very hard to sometimes. Subconsciously, you're waiting for the whistle to go, and I suppose like Galway haven't won a quarter final since 2018 now again, so it really had to stop the rot again, and that was really really vital to win that game yesterday. So you can see how delighted Parik and, and and the manager team on the line yesterday, and a lot of pressure was on there yesterday, and to get the result had taken a lot off. Uh, so I suppose look at you know Mayo again were hitting for other quarter finals, and it was it was a very very important to, to stop that rot and give Galway a chance to get, get another kind of title this year after 2018. And does that give the team confidence then so that the next time they're in that scenario they do something different as opposed to retreating again? I mean, too, because you have young players there that they just need to understand that I suppose you have to go through this. It's fine telling people. You have to experience this. You know, I've always said about 79-1. You should be preparing, preparing for 79 minutes, not, not 70. And if, if it goes into 77 minutes, you're still two minutes ahead of the time. So, like... I suppose it's better, I suppose, through experience, but you should all be preparing for about eight minutes over time. You always should be, and not even look at the clock, because keep doing the same thing and, and be confident in what you're doing and just finish it out and, and, and not be retreating or not be worrying about it or not being hoping the whistle goes. It's out of your control. And I think it's important that people learn that. And that's, that's, a, that's a huge lesson from yesterday. Hopefully that, that the boys will, will, will pull something from that. I just wanted to ask you about uh, Paul Conroy who's obviously you would have managed him and he's had some tough seasons obviously with the horror injury that he had a few years back how happy are you and, and I guess actually how surprised you that he's come back not only to the player that he was but to almost hit a higher height than he's ever hit in a, in a Galway jersey it seems like if you were handing out a player of the year award right now he'd be right in the conversation Yeah look Paul works awful, awful hard always has he always worked hard in his body. He's always, he's always first at training. He's always consistently just getting trying to get better. So he's always been a good kicker. So you know, I suppose he's he's from in the right pockets. He's very very confident in what he's doing at the minute. He's quite enough first half of yesterday, but then he came out and kicked two points again after half time. So he's fallen into those pockets, and he is a lovely kicker. I suppose going forward. You know, I suppose it's something that Mayo looked like yesterday. It looked like they were. We, a long way off the kickers. Look at Kenny McDaig, Kieran Pint, Conley got three, Johnny Heaney kicked one there, uncontested, Kieran Malai kicked one, unpressurised. You know, it, it, it just, it looks at 
I know I'm going to waste the goal points here, but it looks like the Mayo weren't putting as much pressure as they should be on the kicker. But to be fair to Paul, he's a, he's a leader and he's always stepped up at big points. But over the last few games, he's, he's, he's got more than one or two, which, which is great for him. Kevin Watch, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. No problem. Thanks. Uh, where are Galway in the power rankings now? I, I don't know. They'll have to be right up there. The top, top five, six? <laughs> <laughs> where are Mayo? Well, they were. Where were they? Were they fourth. third? Third or fourth? Third. Yeah, they're going to take a bit of a drop. They're suggest. tumbling, right? Yeah, well, they tumbled after the league final, to be fair. They've already lost second spot before yesterday, so you could say they were trending downwards. So, who's second? Tyrone. Tyrone are second. Kerry, Tyrone. Yeah. And then. Mystery, mystery team at number three. Probably still the dubs. Well, if Khan's back, is he? Does that get you. Khan back? Don't know. Don't know. We'll, 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 we'll know in the next. Know a lot more this weekend. Yeah, like by default, like they are the next team up. I think they were fourth, weren't they, in our last update? I can't, I can't remember. It's like two weeks ago. If Galway can perform for the majority of the game against Kilkenny, they have a good chance of winning, says Devo. This is the hurling. Their last few championship matches have seen large spells where the other team dominates, which you can't do. Tender Chicken, how are you tender? Says Roy Keane, back to Cork. Manage the hurlers. Professional outfit with no heart. Ideal. The poor Cork hurlers, they just, uh, they take it and they take it and they take it and they take it. It's, it's now reached a stage where I have sympathy for the Cork hurlers. A moment I thought would never happen in my life. Ah, uh, well, like, I mean, how long will it take for them to start winning and for you to completely do a U-turn on that? Surely last year, I mean... The, six years at least, we're six years at least away. They got, they got... <laughs> yeah, but it was the biggest humiliation. It's the type of thing that Cork used to do to other teams. My first yeah. All-Ireland final, they did that to Offaly yeah. in Thurless in 84. And it was like... Uh, that's what that's what I expect from Cork is to be absolute murderous when it comes to the opposition. Yeah, like I mean, they, they still had that like great moment against Kilkenny in extra time last year in the All Ireland semi final. Uh, like it, it's, it, I guess it is the, the, the nature of the destructions against Limerick is obviously quite eyebrow raising, but they might not make it out of Munster as we were discussing earlier. So that would be pretty bad. Hibs would be a much better move than League One Sunderland, says Peter. I'm not sure because with League One Sunderland, you can get them promoted. You can win that. You can win a trophy in that division the next season, and then you can maybe take them up from the championship. You could like you can see progress, but maybe you get third and you end up in the Europa Conference League. And Dave says death, taxes, and Mayo shooting wides. Poor Mayo. It's not feeling too good for them at the moment. OTBM is brought to you by Gillette. Good mornings. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. You can listen to OTBAM as a radio show on the OTB Sports app or just ask your smart speaker to play OTB Sports Radio. And we're there all day for you, uh, all day, every day. Tomorrow, we're looking ahead to match City versus Real Madrid in the Champions League. That is going to be a good two-legged affair. Champions League semi-finals is some of the best sport that you can see in the world at the moment. We'll continue the fallout from that wild championship weekend and much more. Right now, we're bringing you Kieran Rahalik and Timmy McCarthy on the Sunday papers.